the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are breaking storms with Alex Ryder in Amazon's adaptation of the Anthony Horowitz book series, hitting the pitch with Will Arnett in our overdue but still championship qualifying review of the first team, exploring the lighter side of infidelity in the other one, and investigating a murder in the snow in season four of Cardinal, a Canadian detective drama which you'll find out all about this week as it makes its way to BBC Two for the very first time. Plus, Vicky McClure swings by the podcast to talk to her old chum Boyd about all things Alex Ryder and a little line of duty as well. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that has just drafted an executive order to have the comments section of Apple Podcasts shut down after Thexman from Sweden left us a one-star review this week and said, and I quote, turned off after 10 minutes when I realised all they do is coming up with horrible jokes that they then laugh at by themselves. Horrible people, horrible podcast. Which I think we can all agree is just fake news. However, joining me this week on our horrible podcast are my two equally horrible co-hosts. First up, a man who engages in such sordid practices as stalking British celebrities who he then forces to befriend him while spending his downtime ensconced in a den of iniquity watching episodes of Breeders in the Dark. It's bad Boyd Hilton. Hello, Boyd. I don't recognise any of that description, but thank you. Yeah. <laughs> our, uh, our third co-conspirator, a woman whose crimes against quality science fiction television are too numerous to recount here, whose refusal to accept Farscape into her heart will forever be a stain upon her family's honour. It's Terry Blackheart White. Hello, Terry. Hi. I, I, I'm literally, all the way through that, I was watching you take a variety of selfies yeah, from no too. less than seven separate angles. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, um, uh, well, it's what bad people do, James. Narcissism. Yes, is narcissism there, yeah. for your Instagram <laughs> it's a, stories. It's a well-known trait. I mean, to be fair to the gentleman from Sweden, um, I don't know if we're bad people, but we do tell bad jokes and then laugh at them. So I think we're banged to rights for at least half of his statement. Um, apologies for the bad jokes and laughing at them. Bad well, it's, man. It's not just the bad jokes that apparently are the problem. So I went through our uh, our recent reviews and had oh, a lot Christ. of five star ratings, which were good. But uh, but among the five star ratings, and in fact inside some of the five star reviews, a lot of people did mention, and I quote, unnecessary swearing. Oh, no. Apparently, oh. apparently, this is a black mark against us, the unnecessary swearing. Now, I kind of get that swearing on a podcast is a little inconvenient when you want to listen in front of your kids. Though, frankly, they probably know more swear words than you do. But I have, honestly, on a personal note, I've always found the kind of prohibition on profanity quite baffling. So why is the C-bomb so offensive when the word vagina is not, when they're both semantically identical? Like, it, it, logically, it makes no sense. Well, that's like saying no. what's the difference between saying fuck and screw. I mean, they're just they're just I mean, words. Yes, that, yeah, but that's the whole point about swear words. They get gain power, don't they, for over time for various reasons. But I can imagine if you listened, if the first podcast of ours you ever listened to was the one with Ricky Gervais, where we talked about the word cunt relentlessly for about, <laughs> for, then I can see how it might be a shock to some people. Maybe. I mean, but there is a, a long um, history about kind of the semantics and and um, social power of cunt and where that's come from. I did it at university as part of my English language course. Um, but maybe um, we should try not to fucking swear so much. I see what you did there. Mm. Should we, though? <laughs> it's it's quite funny. So, like, in English, swear words apparently tend to have a sort of a Germanic origin. Yeah. So, like, I think it's shit and fuck both have Germanic origins. But uh, the term profane originates from 
Latin profanus, lols, <laughs> which literally <laughs> means outside the temple. So essentially desecrating what is holy. Because the original swear words were, you know, things like damn. So it was taking the Lord's name in vain. And I think if memory serves from my theology degree, this all stems from something in Deuteronomy, which is about by his name alone you shall swear. So it was about swearing oaths on God's name. Therefore, when you took God's name in vain, you were swearing an oath outside its divine purview, and that was bad. So I think that's where swearing originates. But when it became like social profanity, it was all about voicing social taboos. So it wasn't so much about the words, it was about sort of the meaning. So like bastard was a really big thing to call people mm. in Elizabethan eras because bloodlines were really important. Yeah. So that was a horrible thing to do. Apparently, apparently the worst thing you could say to a Roman citizen in ancient Rome was that they practiced cunnilingus. <laughs> Absolutely true. Um, because apparently Still true it was, for a lot of men, James. Yeah, <laughs> it's the worst insult you could throw because it was about it was all passivity in front of women was seen to be shameful to, to Roman men. Yeah, it was weakness. about weakness. Like there's a lot of stuff around men who give oral sex to women being yeah. weak. And that's where we come was from. The, what was the word they used though? Because obviously there's cocksucker for the, you know in a similar. What was the? Yeah, yeah, what yeah. was the? What, there was one word for. Uh, what one word for that? I oh, God fuck knows. I've no idea. There probably is a specific Roman insult about mm. that, but I don't. Yeah. I don't know how to sling that particular one. We haven't done enough research on that. But, but you know, but it, like the old swear words that they used to have were things like "by God's bones" and "by God's wounds" was something that people used to use a lot. And the, and it's and words like I don't know fuck is one, but I know. Cunt was not a swear word. It didn't used to yes. be a swear word. It yes. was just used in common parlance to refer to that part of the female anatomy. Which part, James? The, the vagina, Terry. <laughs> uh, and uh, this is why Grope Cunt Lane was the most common street in England. This is where they used to find prostitutes. And they used to just call it uh, Grope Cunt Lane. But there are street names. Uh, Shite Wellway, Fucking Grove. These are all places that were, were in England. Uh, and names as well. I like the fact that our response to a complaint about our swearing <laughs> is to have more swear words in this podcast than ever we've had before. I mean, doesn't that just sum up this podcast in a nutshell? Yeah. Yeah. We just double down yeah. on this shit. But it's true. Like, even personal names in the middle ages like cuntless was actually a a surname uh godwin claw cunt is apparently an actual person <laughs> i mean i don't even want to know how he got his name but uh it's it this is this is a thing and it, so i guess i guess just over time it stopped being a descriptive term and became an expletive but there's a really interesting piece in wired as well where which i get I, I may have gone down a rabbit hole on yeah. this where they <laughs> no talk shit. about I mean, how maybe. It's partly to do with semantics about what these things mean, about when words, they get power by challenging social taboos. So racial epithets become powerful in a negative sense because of the connotation. But sometimes it's about the aesthetics of the word. So cunt is a very caustic word with two yes. hard consonants. Phonetics. And cock is as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, they derive power partly from the shape of the word, not yeah. just from the meaning. Because the sound, yeah, yeah. the phon phonetics of it is really important. To bring it back to television, did you know that the, you know, the BBC has a list of all the swear words in order of um, ranked in order of offensiveness and and it used to be the case I think they've phased this out now that if you were making a TV show and you wanted to have swear words in it you had to adhere to so you could have like three cunts uh, post watershed within half an hour or something so they have quite strict rules about it but the the top of the list wasn't cunt so for the BBC their most um uh, outrageous word that anyone could use was motherfucker. Really? And uh, it, it was, all, yeah, it was weird. And mm. I always thought it was really weird. And I didn't believe it until they sent me. I got, uh, they faxed, I got someone to fax me over the list because I wrote an article about it. Once. <laughs> and it was true, motherfucker <laughs> was more offensive to them than cunt. I don't know if that's, that's still the case. That's, but then that's often been the case in certain countries like Italy. That's a big thing because obviously defaming someone's mother is seen as yeah. socially taboo. So it has more power there. 
Yeah. Can I just say that actually the why this is like the most perfect us way to deal with this complaint <laughs> is massively over-intellectualising it and like disappearing right up our own arses when discussing swearing. That's what makes it a pilot podcast reaction to That's a complaint yeah. about swearing. I have a couple more facts for you though before we wrap this up. And that is if you check the Chester County Court rolls of 1310, uh, there is there is a, a gentleman on the roll called Roger Fuck by the Navel. Absolutely true. <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh. And there are other people. So John Le Fucker in 1278, Henry Fuckbegger in 1286, and Simon Fuckbutter. I mean, Jesus, in 1290. So clearly it was it was quite common back in the day. Here's another fact for you. Swearing in and of itself is not a criminal offence in the United Kingdom, although it is a criminal offence in Salford Keys under a public what? spaces protection order, which outlaws the use of foul and abusive language. So if you go to Salford Keys and call someone a cunt you can theoretically get arrested for it so that's uh Christ. that's an interesting fact wow. for you another fact perhaps my last is that apparently our brains process swear words differently from other language so actually it's uh most propositional speech uh, words are are um uh, are formed in the left hemisphere of the brain where swear words come mostly from the limbic system in the right hemisphere so people whose left hemispheres have been damaged by strokes alzheimer's and whatnot can sometimes still swear even though they can't talk otherwise that's a fascinating fact. Is it? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> to bring it back to TV again, do you know what the first? Do you know what the first American use of the C word of cunt was on American television ever? I know. I know what it was in film. It was said by Jack Nicholson. But uh, what's, the, what's the TV one? The TV one is the Larry Sanders show in 1992. Um, was it? Which, funny enough, I was going to mention in, in relation to something coming up any minute now on this podcast. Yeah, but Larry Sanders' show led the way with the use of the word cunt on American TV, and then Sex and the City joined in quite soon after. But Americans have a weird relationship with that. I've mentioned on this podcast, I think, before the show The Magicians, uh, which is a show that I quite enjoyed, where they would they would bleep out fuck, but they left cunt completely unmolested. And I thought that was a really odd approach to censorship, but sure, you know, whatever floats your boat. That's, that is weird, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I hope for those of you who object to the Pilot TV podcast swearing are feeling a little better about yourselves now and, uh, <laughs> and we've addressed that issue to your satisfaction. Uh, shall we move on now to what we've been fucking watching? Terry. <laughs> right, so I've got one thing that I tried to watch and had to turn off, um, uh, which I wanted to talk to Boyd about. Um, and the other thing, which is the Jeffrey Epstein docuseries on Netflix. Um, I don't... Did this drop this week, I think, yeah. Boyd? I'm looking at Wednesday, you over the internet. Yeah. Wednesday. Um, and it's a four-part, hour-long, each episode um, documentary, essentially. And what they did... In effect, what's most interesting, I suppose, is they started making this and researching it even before Epstein had been arrested. So they kind of um, knew all the stories out there. But I think they started with this... Um, assumption that he was too well protected and he would never ever be brought to justice obviously the events then kind of uh, took a very dramatic turn when not only was he arrested but then he died in prison um and and what's really interesting about it is they've really diligently gone and tracked down tons of survivors some of whom have spoken before some of whom have never spoken 
And it kind of doesn't just look at um, the attacks themselves, but it looks at his entire kind of the infrastructure, I suppose, of his life and his business, um, how he managed to get away with it for so long. Kind of incredible, really, how he he managed, even when he'd been charged before, managed to plead something much, um, much less serious. He would have been looking at life in prison, only served a couple of years. It's such an insane story. And we, we pretty much know that as it is but i think to hear these stories over and over again from these women um who were all victims of his and to paint such a full picture over multiple decades um it's really well done i mean it's really grim i mean it will it will be but it's really really meticulously done so i massively enjoyed that and would recommend it if um you have a couple of hours free this week now i tried to watch boyd's recommendation White lines, oh. which <laughs> you know, in well, many my respects, semi recommendation, semi recommendation, which in in many respects is right up my street. Um, and I was like, Boyd says it's good, but it's nonsense. I can be on board for good, but nonsense. Like I enjoy much stuff that is good, but nonsense. First things first, the accents. So somebody on Twitter did point this out. There's a lot of dodgy northern accents, very very dodgy northern accents. It is so ridiculous i mean i just i i made it like 20 minutes in and i was like i have to turn this off and i don't know if it was that the accents had a lot to do with it there's a lot of bad 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 northern accents um but it's just ridiculous um and i couldn't even get into the like absurdity of it and sink into that i just it it made my skin itch a little bit so i had to turn it off oh dear so what wow. i have yeah, what i have not been watching <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it is absolutely preposterous, and the accents are terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's un- both of those things are undeniable. I think if you get to the torture by um, a dance music scene, then that 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 that's a key moment. I think. Uh, yeah, I don't think I got that far. Offensive okay. northern stereotypes. This is your uh, this is your objection here. I don't mind stereotypes. It's accents specifically. <laughs> what, what, where were they supposed to be from, or was it just like the way I see the north? Man- it's just Manchester. like the Manchester. This is large. Manchester. I mean, you, you have got Lawrence fucking Fox doing. Sorry for swearing. <laughs> doing a northern accent. So yeah, I mean, it's it's embarrassing. Yeah, it was. Um, it was no, no. Right. Okay, Boyd. What have you been watching? Well, I've got a few things, so I'll try and be quick on each one. Jeffrey Epstein documentary as well. I watched that, and yeah, it's incredible. And uh, Graydon Carter, the uh, former editor of Vanity Fair, has an interesting role to play. Yes. (laughs) Isn't that fascinating? Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, that's so interesting. Oh, dear, Graydon. Oh, dear, dear indeed. Yeah, so that that was like my first takeaway from immediately from that series. And then, as, as Terry says, as it goes on, the testimony. The, 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 from the from the women um, involved is just is just incredible. So there's that. The other big show, the big documentary series that everyone is talking about is McMillions, which is on Sky and now TV. It's on Sky's new Sky Documentaries channel, which launched this week. Now I have no idea why what the difference is between Sky Crime and Sky Documentaries, and why this series, which is a crime, a true crime series, is on Sky Documentaries and not Sky Crime, but it is. Anyway, you'll find it. It's all on. Um, as a Sky box set, it's six parts, and it tells the story of the McDonald's in the um, uh, late eighties, and for about twelve, thirteen years, had this essentially like a scratch card game that you could win on, on based on Monopoly, and mm. you'd win take these Monopoly well. pieces, yeah, and it and and you could win a million dollars basically with the best, or if you got more the likely, best. a cheeseburger, yeah, right now. 
um, a group of people scammed this whole um, process, and they for twenty four million dollars they go they 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 conned McDonald's out twenty four million dollars by scamming the whole thing. It's a complicated, a very complicated saga of how they did it, who was involved. Loads of do- dodgy dudes called Jerry. Um, but the incredible thing about this documentary, I think every, why everyone's um, latched onto it, is the it's 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 the new Tiger King. A completely different kind of story, but to the extent that all the people involved who are interviewed throughout, who tell their stories, are eccentric, weird, egomaniacal, sometimes like really off-putting, sometimes incredibly likable and funny. They're all having a great time, most of them. The F- the main FBI guy, who is called Doug Matthews, is like a, this slick, <laughs> slick kind of dude who's chuckling his way through the whole thing. Some of the stories are quite serious, you know, people being conned out of millions of dollars, blah, blah, blah. But he's having, a, he's having a whale of a time. And then there's this other character called Robin Columbo, who is a woman who was married to one of the key uh, guys who initiated the whole thing. She's like a kind of stereotype gangster's mole, you know, in, in, in quotes. And she is extraordinary, chain-smoking her way throughout the whole series, a whole six hours. And she's one of the most incredible characters I've ever seen in a documentary series. So it is incredible. It is brilliant. It, McMillions on Sky documentaries. I'm assuming they ultimately go to jail. And if the judge during the sentencing did not say, go to jail, go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect £200, then they frankly missed the trick. Exactly. And two other quick things. Um, One is another documentary series on Netflix called Selling Sunset, which is in its second season and is this really cheesy um, kind of reality show series, like a kind of docu-soap about a real estate agency in LA where they sell these incredible, you know, all those homes above Sunset Boulevard in the Hollywood Hills, those spectacular houses on stilts and stuff. Where Harry Bosch lives. Yeah, it's the ultimate property porn. But it's also like the the people who work for this agency are hilarious. It's run by two crop-haired dudes, twins and all of their staff are like extraordinarily um women who basically look, look like they've just walked out of a miss world competition basically <laughs> all of them it's only populated the real estate agents by those women and it's hilarious and brilliant and the homes are incredible and finally one more thing is ricky and ralph's very northern road trip which is um uh ralph little and and uh, yes indeed <laughs> And Ricky Tomlinson from the Royal Family reunited to do a northern road trip travel show on the Gold Channel. And it's really enjoyable and really entertaining and really lovely. It's a celebration of the North, Terry. It's absolutely a celebration of northernness. And it's just lovely to see these two from the Royal Family, one of the greatest shows ever, um, united on television. I do a podcast with a living celebration of northernness. So I'm not sure I necessarily need to watch that, but sure. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Um, I haven't seen that. I have finally finally got to Gangs of London and watched the whole of Gangs of London. I binged it over last weekend and it really is as good as uh, everyone has been saying it is. It's uh, it's quite extraordinary. Um, I do think it peaks halfway through. I think that's possibly the only thing that episode five, uh, which is slightly different from all the others, is one of the best episodes of television I've seen, but it is the high point for the series. And it's a shame that nothing that comes after quite matches those giddy heights. Cause that is, it's like a mini hour long action movie in and of itself. Well, it's a thriller. It's like, it's, there's so much going on there and it's really violent and it's incredibly shot and it's 
beautifully acted and it's you go through all the emotions and it does it's it's like its own little self-contained story and i thought that was pure art like that will be one of my favorite single episodes for the entire year uh i think that's that's quite amazing but yeah i enjoyed it all the way through to the end i thought it was very very good chope dorisu of course being the standout there he's excellent i'm not entirely sure why Joe Cole's accent is a bit Downton Abbey. Uh, I did discuss this a little bit with Chris Hewitt, and he was like, I, I think he's supposed to have shown that he's had like a posh education, but I was like, it's very, very posh. But uh, but very, very good series. I heartily recommend it. It is unspeakably violent, though I do think like a lot of the violence, like the the large violent set pieces are quite front-loaded. Like there's a lot of uh, punch-up stuff, and there's a big fight in the first episode, and then he does calm down a little bit with spikes of violence here and there, but it's not sustained carnage all the way through. Uh, Lots of love there. Terry, have you watched the whole thing yet? No, I haven't. Um, I'm actually tempted to go back because it's been so long since I watched that 90-minute opener to go back, watch that again and do mm. the entire thing in a in a binge. It's 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 well worth doing. I enjoy back to backing it actually, but uh, but yes, episode five is quite extraordinary. There will be uh, a number, I think, of spoiler special podcasts on this very show, which are going to go out under the Empire Spoiler Special umbrella. Uh, we spoke to Gareth Evans, we spoke to Corin Hardy, who directed some of the best episodes of this season, uh, and appears in one episode as a busker. Spoiler, um, but uh, those are not live yet. They are in the process of being edited, but should be up in the next couple of weeks. So if you are interested in listening to those, do head over to glow.fm slash empire film and subscribe to the empire spoiler special podcast channel but yes gangs of london excellent i would say boy that is definitely definitely in my top three of the year one of the people on twitter pointed out yeah. boy that your top three of the year so far includes five tv shows so i don't know what those are but uh that's true yeah. that's true oh as it's um as it's the first show of um june next week should we do our our oh. halfway mark top five well that comes that's a good terry idea. at the end of june our half year review which i shall be talking to you about very very soon but yes we are going to put up our best tv shows of 2020 so far in june uh that will go up which will be very very exciting terry will of course have devs at the top of hers uh yep, which will be five good times. yep yep five five devs and you know five devs and picard i was just gonna say your thing about um gangs of london um dipping a bit after mm. that episode all i'd say is I, I thought episode six was astonishing in its own right as well what i'm saying is the use of that song all the way through yes, you know what i'm talking yes, about yes, yeah yes that, yes, ep- yes that episode was is incredible as in its own and in a completely different way yeah it's a deliberate gear shift hmm. yeah i think that shows how brilliant the series is it's pretty it's pretty extraordinary i like i quite like that device when done well and it's rarely done well where in a series they take you to a dramatic high point at the end of an episode where you cannot wait to see what happens and then utterly shift down a gear for the following episode and don't show you what it is you want to see and show you something else instead yeah. and oftentimes yeah. that comes across as incredibly frustrating and in this particular case i thought it was excellent because they showed you something you didn't want to see and then showed you why it was better than the thing yeah. that you possibly wanted to see you know props to everyone involved in that show because it really is unbelievable i'm not surprised that it set records for sky because uh, it's an exceptional show Right, shall we transition now to our listener question, which this week comes from Andrew Young, uh, who asks, what is the best single series of television? I'd put forth the West Wing Series 2, good man, uh, Fleabag Series 2, and The Wire Series 4. What do you guys think? Okay, so I agree on Fleabag Series 2. Mm. I just think it's, Mm. and we talked about this at the time, an absolutely kind of perfect season of telly um james you will not be surprised when i say buffy season two 
Which season is my two favorite. is an interesting one. Most people would say season five for Buffy. No, I mean the Angelus Angel becoming, isn't it? That finale your... become mm. bec- the two part that two mm. part finale. Um, it's among the best finales in television ever. That central storyline, the loss of Giles's girlfriend, like the the way they the there has never been kind of a um a better simpler iteration of good versus evil with. Angel and, and Angelus, mm. and then you know the scene where she has to send him into the vortex um, to save the world. Oh my god! I mean, it's so <laughs> overwrought and ridiculous, but I just I love every minute of it. The OC season one. So we t- I talked the other week about um, Dawson's Creek season one, and I've been revisiting the OC actually, and I was like, actually, season one is pretty much perfect and could have just stood on its own if they'd never done a season two. It's just brilliant. The amount Ryan evolved in in that one season. Um, I don't think Sandy Cohen was ever greater than in that first season. I mean, Sandy Cohen forever. I still want to, him to be both my dad and my husband, which is weird. Um, and um, and Summer and Seth um, falling in love with each other, even she didn't know it. But I have decided that the greatest single season of a TV show is series two of Doctor Who. This is series two post-revival. Um, so series two is um, the 10th Doctor, who I talk about a lot, David Tennant. So here's why this is the greatest series of TV ever, right? So you've got David Tennant, the greatest ever Doctor who arrives, obviously. It ends with one of the other great finales in TV ever, which is Doomsday. And then... You have this perfect 13-episode arc, 15 if you include the specials, but I'm not. I'm just including the main series. Um, That arc, which takes in him arriving, his relationship with Rose, and at the end introduces Donna Noble very, very briefly, Dr. Donna. Um, It returned the Cybermen to TV, which was hugely significant, and also it contains some of the best, standout episodes i think of doctor who full stop so not only doomsday but um army of ghosts rise of the Cybermen, and the girl in the fireplace which is exceptional that is for me as close to perfect as you can get and i remember i think it ran october to july you think seven months every single week and i cannot remember being so engaged with a TV show and having to be there in front of my telly every Sunday night, desperate, 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 and so invested and so broken and just like ash at the end. Um, And I can watch this over and over and over again and it never loses its magic for me. Wow. A ringing endorsement. Boy, probably your picks. Well, I I think that I agree with Doctor Who completely. Yeah, that would be, it's definitely one of the most incredible series. Yeah that there's ever been on TV um, and my favourite series of Doctor Who as well. Um, so I could fully endorse that. And I, I, I've for comedies, I've gone for um, Seinfeld, a series four, which was the series, not only does that contain the probably the best ever episode, the contest famously, where they're all having a contest to not masturbate. Um, 
which um, is, if anyone's never seen Seinfeld, then that's the show to watch because it's so extraordinary. Um, but that is the se- series where, which has a very self-referential, um, this, bearing in mind this was the biggest show on American TV, and this whole series, the kind of arc of it, the, is that Jerry is getting commissioned to create his own sitcom with George called Jerry. Um, and that goes all the way through. And then meetings with NBC and um, how the whole thing develops, c- culminating in the, the recording of the pilot episode is absolutely incredible for a show, for a huge big mainstream show to have this really kind of clever and yet incredibly funny um, self-referential thing going on was groundbreaking and brilliant. Um, the Larry Sanders show series, season six, which was the final season, um, and that season, that show got better and better and better as it went on. And the final season is all about Larry being reduced to a, a gibbering wreck because he knows that the network wants to replace him with Jon Stewart. And there's loads of incredible um, stuff about how network American network TV TV works and the final episode is incredible which Jerry Seinfeld is in as a guest star um the leftovers I'm going for season two I think season two where they shifted the location not three interesting no well I think three I I think season two is like focused on the whole idea the crux of the show the the show's main premise about organized religion and all of that Mm. and 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 whereas season three goes on incredible flights of fantasy and all of that and it is absolutely phenomenal but i feel season two is like where it is the most leftovers of of the all three seasons if you see what i mean so i love season two twin peaks season one yes absolutely incredible Mm. Um, one of the, one of my favourite things ever when I watched it at the time I was like this is just never seen anything like it everything you wanted from that mix of David Lynch and an actual police show because <laughs> it, it was it was still grounded I think season mm. one well two was drivel wasn't it two was two was drivel and the the the, the, um, the reboot was incredible I mean absolutely incredible mm. but season one had, was the perfect mix for me of kind of grounded and yet David Lynch weirdness beautifully matched and f- my final um mention a uh, true detective season one um was absolutely i loved that so much mm. and obviously it went compl- it went off the rails at season two season three went but that but see true detective the first season i absolutely loved every single episode of that even up to the slightly controversial finale that people thought it went a bit um off the edge but i loved it i loved every minute of that it was absolutely brilliant and so i put a question to both of you which season of friends would you pick if you could have one Oh, mm. I'm going to say um, the one where, hold with me, but hold with me, because um, I just need to check which season it was. Yeah, I, I forget which is which, yeah. Yeah, because they all mold into one. The one, um, is it season two where Ross and Rachel get together? Yes, I believe it is, yeah. Yes. So the one with Ross's new girlfriend, yes, because obviously it opens, that season mm-hmm. opens where Rachel's gone to the airport with flowers. That episode in itself is brilliant, um, where she falls over, cuts her head open, um, and he introduces her to everybody and she's just being mental. That's incredible. Um, the one where Ross finds out is obviously the amazing one. Um, obviously, they then have the um, kind of break up, don't fully get together because mm. he makes a list of all her pros and cons, <laughs> like her fat ankles, and she's just a waitress. Um, and But then they eventually get together because the, that contains the one with the prom video, which is where they get together properly when she sees the video of Ross preparing to take her to the prom when she'd been, she thought she'd been stood up. Um, and she kisses him against the door and Phoebe says, see... She's her, he's her lobster, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So I will say season two of Friends. I cannot argue with your logic at any point there. 
No. Mm. It's also got Eddie in it, the, the, the terrifying roommate, <laughs> yes. which is hilarious. Yeah. I think season two is the best of friends. Uh, season three was pretty great as well, just looking at it. Yeah, it's that yeah, two was very much a show that peaked early, Friends. It was always yeah. great, but it definitely, I think, yeah. lost some of its power. But then the characters evolved and they changed, didn't they? I think, but but it, it changed in different ways. I think Chandler was at his best in season one and two, by far the best character. He became less good as he went along. Yes. And I think Joey and Ross were characters who got better over time. Like, and by the end, I think Ross and Joey had really found themselves. Ross is genius physical comedy, and Joey, who started off as kind of the butt of the jokes, and actually became a really kind of interesting character in a, in his own right. Yeah, but I think because I think Rachel was better early on because I think yeah. season two and season three was obviously about the tension in her and Ross's relationship and she did they kind of found a sweet spot where she was doing that but also because um jennifer aniston i just think has brilliant comedic timing actually and i Mm. think she's massively underrated for that but in the end it felt like she was kind of she went full circle and went back to being that kind of annoying privilege she didn't really have a lot of meat drama wise all the Um, ralph lauren stuff yeah, all the mm. Ralph Lauren stuff and the men and, and she just never became that fully formed character. I felt like she was kind of season three-ish um, and she just became slightly irritating. Mm. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think Ross ended up being like just brilliant. Yeah, completely. Uh, I've derailed this question. Sorry, Andrew Young. Uh, <laughs> my answer to this. So he puts the West Wing series too. I'd agree with that. It does have 17 people. It does have two cathedrals. Some of my favourite episodes, stuff like A Proportional Response and Celestial Navigation are in season one. But I think objectively season two probably is the peak of the West Wing. The Wire, he said season four. I'd have gone with season three. It is a, it's a close call. But for me, The Wire peaks with season three. Season four is, is very layered, very subtle, and it's a very different season, as is two, actually, and that's that's often overlooked. But three, I think, is the, the sweet spot for the string of bell goodness. If I had to pick a Battlestar Galactica season, I think even though season one has the single best episode in 33, I think season two probably, because it's got the Pegasus and it's got New Caprica, some great stuff in there. Uh, with the leftovers, I might go with three over two, boy, but I know what you mean. Like It's a very close call, and frankly, they're both mm. amazing seasons. Breaking Bad, I would say the final season of Breaking Bad, season yeah. five, definitely. Yeah, but, I was going to say that. Yeah. But that makes a certain amount of sense, isn't it? Because his descent from, you know, Mr. Chips to Scarface kind of has come to a head there. So I think you are, you're seeing kind of the the, the, yeah. the fulfilment of, of Gilligan's vision there, and I think that's great. Game of Thrones, I wrangled over this one quite a lot. Like, what would I be for Game of Thrones? So season one in many ways because there's so much good stuff there and I think it's never neater tidier or more tightly compelling than it is in season one you're crazy season one no way I'm no I see that. I love see season no. one has everything I love about Game of Thrones which but boy we've already established that your wrongness about Game of Thrones is legendary <laughs> but uh, season one has everything I love about it which is just it's politics it's, quite, it's like the West Wing with swords you know what I mean like, it's very much focused on the world building and the politics and the manoeuvring of the characters season three is good obviously has the red wedding but if I had to pick one i wonder whether i might pick season four so obviously that has uh that has the uh, the purple wedding as it's called joffrey's murder at the at the wedding feast it's got uh Tyrion's trial the mountain and the viper it's got john snow fighting the wildlings on the wall and all the stuff with the grit which is really powerful uh, it's got brienne versus the hounds there's loads of good stuff in there and i think maybe the sweet spot for game of thrones might be season four so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna put my hat on that one and and claim that 
And that's, broadly speaking, I mean, I could list all my favourite shows, but I will not bore Mm -hmm. these two or the rest of you with that. We will just leave it there. So, Andrew, thank you very much for that. If you would like your question answered, feel free to send it either to me directly on Instagram or Twitter at James C. Dyer or sling it to Pilot TV Mag via Twitter DM uh, as I check those periodically when I can't find one elsewhere. Right, time now for our guest. Vicky McClure returns to our screens this week in Alex Ryder, and she dropped into our virtual pod booth this week to talk about that show and a variety of other things with our very own Boyd Hilton. Hello and welcome, Vicky McClure, to the Pilot TV podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, thank you. The sun is shining. so Yeah. Are you speaking us live from your home in Nottingham? Yep, that's where I am. I'm in Notts. It's nice weather. It's yeah. nice being home. I've got to say, I am a home bird, so you know, there's not many complaints in terms of being told to stay at home. But um, missing my family like mad. So yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, same, same. Yeah. Now we're here ostensibly to talk about, mainly to talk about Alex Ryder, which is this. Um, I would describe it as a kind of quite spectacular adventure spy thriller, but very much for young adults. Is this yeah. one of the first kind of YA things you've done? Yeah, I think it is actually. And I, and actually when the job was put to me, um, I'd not heard of it, which is kind of fine because of my age. It wasn't something that we studied at school. And then I asked my nephew, Kai, and said, have you heard of it? And he was like, yeah, as if I was the uncoolest auntie ever, um, <laughs> which got me really excited because my nephews and, and, you know, they can't watch anything I'm in because it's all pretty uh, adult stuff. Right. Uh, so right. that really interested me. And then obviously I looked into, you know, Alex Ryder in the books a lot more and just realised it's, you know, it's actually quite a beast already. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a huge it's, phenomenon, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. And, um, you know, I do like the fact that it's something that's for a completely different audience. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really nice that they asked me, actually. And did you go back and read the Anthony Horowitz novels or did you just enter it afresh? No, I didn't. And I spoke to Andreas, who was our first block director, um, to see if it was something that he'd rather we do. Um, because if that was the case, then obviously you'd, you know, you do your research. And he was, he'd not even read them. And he was like, I'm going to do it as the script. Because Guy Burt, who's wrote the scripts, um, you know, has spoke extensively with Anthony. And they've had many conversations in terms of developing it from a book to the series. Um, and as much as there are, you know, lots of similarities. Um, it is its own beast, and there has been things that have been slightly adapted, I guess. Um, so, no, I, I went with the script, and in some ways I'm glad I did because there was, you know, there'd be things that I would have done character-wise um, differently, I guess, and we wanted to do something that felt fresh. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, because I've actually read them, the books, two of the books, because um, I used to do book reviews on the radio years ago. With Simon Mayer. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah, this was one of the main, one of the one of the kind of books we read was and the first book in this series. And I have to say, from my, from memory, this series feels much edgier, I would say, yeah, um, than the books. Is that would you say? I, I, I don't yeah, expect I mean, like to answer about I, that. Yeah, yeah, I haven't because I haven't read the books. I wouldn't mm. want to say either way, really, because I don't because. I haven't read them, sure. so I don't know. But from what I've been sure. told by other people on the project, that um, they are a lot edgier. And I think it, I'm kind of glad they are, just because they're not verging on anything that seems um, insensitive or anything like that. And, 
you know, for the amount of things that kids see now with gaming and, you know, television as a whole, um, I think we can trust them to enjoy certain things in a, in a slightly more dramatic sense. And when this is being put out, yes, it's for sort of like children, I guess, but it's more young adults and children. Um, and I think it will be a show that, um, given the circumstances that we're in, I think it's going to be a show that adults will be able to enjoy watching with their kids and with their teenagers. Um, and often that's a sort of a tricky part of television to to get where you can both enjoy it because, you know, as much as it's, it's sort of the, the stories um, told by Alex and Otto, um, who plays Alex and Brennan, um, it's, there's loads of adults in it. There's loads of different characters in it. So I think everybody will get something from it. Yeah, and you play, so we should say, you play Miss Jones, the br- yeah. Mrs. Jones, the brilliantly yeah. titled. Like, again, com- mixed up with Rising Damp's Miss Jones, who was, <laughs> who was uh, <laughs> yeah. an icon when I was growing up. Yeah. No, it's, um, uh, no, sorry, go on. And, and she's she's the, the handler, isn't she? She's a, she's a spy, but she's assigned to um, look after this teenage yeah. spy, Alex Ryder. And she's quite in the, in the, I love the scenes between you and Stephen Delane. So Stephen Delane is your colleague. I mean, that, first yes. of all, that's a pretty amazing cast, isn't it? For a, for a YA show. Yeah. yeah. And you're kind of butting up against him, aren't you? And kind of, you're quite angry with him, I have to say. And those scenes are great, I think. Yeah, we, we, it was great. Really great to work with him. He's such a lovely guy um, and a real professional, you know, wanted to make sure that we was, we, we always discuss things in great length. And, you know, I'm always up for that because you'll find something when you're doing it. It's never a pointless chat sort of thing. Um, but yeah, there's a bit of a story that goes through the series where you can see that Mrs. Jones is conflicted with what she's doing at the department at MI6 with what she's doing with Alex. And, um, as much as she's not quite the motherly figure, she certainly has a sort of responsibility towards him. And, you know, like in anything in life, when you start to get to know somebody and, you know, you start to care about them, this is the problem and the confliction that she has running through the show, um, and it, uh, yeah, another great, strong female character for me to play. Um, so it was, and, and Stephen was great. Um, Mrs. Jones, we sang that a lot on set. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those, in fact, it was a, it's it? a great song. I'm trying to remember what her full name is. I always forget. She's got a really great first name, but because right. it's never referenced, it, yeah. I'll, I'll have to remember that. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah. But yeah, Otto yeah. will know. He's on yeah. it. And he, so Otto is the, is the young um, teenage spy. I, I guess he's older than he, he is in the – do you know how old he is? I was trying to find out how old he is, and it's quite difficult to find he's out that his, fact. Yeah, he's in his early 20s. Okay. I, don't remember, okay. I wouldn't want to say what his exact age sure. is in case I get sure. it, you know, one yeah. year, one way or the other. Yeah, but he looks the part. Yeah, fair enough. He looks like he a teenage. He, he's he's not a teenager, and yet he right. yeah he's going to do fine in life. He's aging yeah. very well. <laughs> yes, and he's basically playing a kind of young. I'm going to say a young kind of James Bond type character, doesn't he? Really, so he has yeah. to do all that action and and stuff. And and you're kind of there to look after him. How how was it? How was he to work with? And how was he? Did he take to all of that? He was honestly. He was absolutely brilliant. You know, when you you meet um, people that you know you're going to get on with, so that instantly just relaxes everything and makes everything quite easy. Um, but what I love about Otto is he wants to have a nice time and he wants to enjoy himself. He's so polite. He's got all the manners. Um, so he's, he's a lovely person to be around, but he is so professional. <laughs> he wants to get everything right. He did all the research. He, he worked 
so hard um and majority of the stunts that he had to do he was always like can i do it can i do this and and wanting to get as involved as he possibly could and you know fair enough because this could run and run and run and you know he'll have a long sort of job on his hands and it's a it's a massive deal for him um but i just loved how much he put into it and it was inspiring and it was helping everybody else to sort of gear up as well and when you're working with people that are that hard working you never want to let the side down um and nobody did and it did feel like everybody was sort of excited to make something that is hopefully quite unique and it's got that it's 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 been made it's made um, Amazon Prime showing it in the UK and yeah. it's got that kind of big kind of epic cinematic quality to it, hasn't it? When you watched it back, were you like, oh, did you realise yeah. it was going to be quite that spectacular? No, and- I didn't. I genuinely <laughs> right. didn't. I know when I was reading the scripts, I was like, he's doing what? And just thinking, how on earth are they going to film that? And, um, you know, way more ambitious than I expected it to be. Um, and then when I watched it back, I was exactly like that, just thinking they've really gone to town. And it does feel like you've got, a very sort of um, global series on your hands. You know, I've heard that it's been sold to many, many countries now. And so it's great. There's a chance for this to really, you know, spread itself across the world and hopefully get a nice sort of fan base behind it. We did um, Comic-Con last year. And uh, even going there and doing the Q&A, there was just like so many fans, so many people already ready to see what this is about. And I... I hope, um, you know, I think they'll be quite impressed with what we've managed to, to do with it. Oh, I think so, yeah. Funny enough, it reminded me of not, not so much Line of Duty, but um, Action Time, one of my favourite things oh, that you've action done. Time. <laughs> yes, yes. The, the spectacularly funny oh, Big God. Tom Davis show, where you're yeah. also playing a spy in a, yeah. in, I have to say, a weirdly similar set like you to have, the one this in. This reminded me of that. Yeah, yeah. It's almost that spooky. Is so How you, weird. Yeah, so you've gone from playing like the comedy version of this role yeah. to the serious, very serious version <laughs> of this role. That's a is really your approach very role. different from one to the other? Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that is a very different approach. I absolutely loved Action Team. I was actually mm. quite sad that it didn't explode in the way that I hoped it would, because um, it would have been a pleasure to work with Tom on a regular basis. Um, yeah, that's weird. It is a bit, yeah, but the, yeah. the set and everything, you're right, very dark sort of, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of basement-y type. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Wow. But do you approach, if you, when you're be. doing, sure, yeah. When you did that, because that was a very silly comedy, but you, I guess, were yeah. you were playing it very straight. So in yeah. a way, I guess maybe you didn't alter the way you, you approach it to <laughs> how you approached this show. I wonder no. if they'd have seen it. Maybe, maybe they've seen this and gone, ah, oh, there's that girl. There she is. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe, yeah. Um, one of the things I've loved, just today, in fact, in, in, in the, one of the best things about lockdown, I mean, there aren't that oh. many, is your line of duty charity <laughs> little specials. One of, A new oh. one went out today as we're talking um, on Tuesday um, with guest stars and everything. I like hilarious. Now, and, and these are being done for the Ask for Mars charity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That's How did it. that, did Jed, was it just Jed's idea, Jed Mercurio's idea to just do these things? Is that? Yeah, yeah. it was. It was Jed. I think with Jed being, obviously he's a, he's a trained doctor, um, doesn't practice anymore, but um, he's got lots of contacts within that world and I'm sure would have been communicating with people about what's been happening um, and very aware that we are lacking in PPE. Um and just sort of said, you know, we, we need it'd be great to get behind this campaign, uh, and then just just leave it to Jed to let him create something. And it, 
you know, I think he said at one point, like, has anybody got any ideas? And we were like, just you do it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the best writers we've ever had. Um, And he did. And he wrote the first one that we did, um, which was great fun and, you know, getting dressed up and trying to sort of like do the part. And then we did a little blooper reel. I think that was last week that they put together, which was great fun and mainly sort of um, with Adrian Dunbar, who plays Hastings, which you yeah. know, means that he's a he's a very heavy blooper. Um, <laughs> and then that one, I mean, we literally shot it yesterday. Wow! So the turnaround wow. is very quick. Jed was yeah. um, sort of suggesting that we did another one, so I'm I, I'm kind of hoping that it kind of continues. <laughs> it's they're so <laughs> because, funny just to see, yeah. You know why not? It's just yeah. it's nice to give some people something on social media to smile at um and it is a shame because you know we would have been wrapping up on series six very soon now um and obviously we've got a long way to go yet now um so to give people these little fillers and the fact that it's for something that we're all extremely passionate about and it is so important there's a really nice message with it as long as, you know, along with being able to sort of create something for a laugh and that's all it is, you know. It's a nice way of keeping in touch with your, with your colleagues as well. Cause you get to see Martin in his pool in Vegas and. Yeah. But the way uh, we shoot yeah. it, we kind of, we have to shoot it without each other. Do you know what I mean? Right. It's not like we're yeah. doing it like this. We have to shoot our bit and then it all comes together in the edit with the editor that um, edits line of duty actually. So, you know, it's oh. all very professionally done. Um, yeah. But yeah, we keep it. I mean, we've got WhatsApp groups and we're all in touch a lot of the time anyway. So, uh, but yeah, it always makes me, I'm always amused to see, to see Martin's take because I know he's going to be in the pool or by the pool or something <laughs> yeah. like that. And then when Jed put in uh, the script, Vicky sits in her onesie. I thought that's the best <laughs> costume he's ever given me. Um, so I ran upstairs, grabbed my onesie and then um, it said I was watching TV and I thought, oh, I'll put the nest on. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. Uh, how, by the way, how good was the nest? Do you do you oh, do you watch? Yeah. yeah, yeah, incredible, it was wasn't absolutely it? Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, and the figures that have come out about how well it's done, and and you know, just a really great drama that gripped the nation again. Um, and I love watching my mates on telly. So, so I was going to ask about your old mate Joe Gilgan, um, Brassic's gone from Strength oh, yes. to Strength as well. Are you, yeah, yeah. I watched Are you a Brassic first- fan? I am. I watched the first series. Um, I spoke to Joe actually not too long ago, and last week I think it was, um, and said to him, "I need to watch the second series." So I watched the first episode a couple of days ago with the lion. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've got I've got the rest of the series to go, but it's great because it's it, again, it's it's something different, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite, there's it's nothing so good, else yeah. that's kind of on the telly at the minute that's like it um yeah. so it gives people you know for that kind of audience it's there and i think they've already got another series commissioned haven't yeah. They? yeah yeah incredible good on yeah. Him. i mean yeah. he's, he's such a funny guy i know he's incredible he's yeah, so watchable yeah. that's the thing with joe yeah 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 and talking of the, 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 the this is england which you know you did all those series of three series of with him and that film but there are rumors that that um that it's going to come but that shane meadows is quite into doing a 2000 series are you is that what's your feeling about that would you like to do it do you think it's oh, a good idea my feeling is i hope it you know stops becoming a rumor and becomes the real deal is my is yeah. the truth of it um yeah, I mean, I was only doing a Q&A with Shane and Chanel, who plays my sister, yesterday 
for um, this Nottingham festival that's going on at the minute. And again, it came up in conversation and we spoke about it. And, you know, the great thing about Shane is he doesn't do that. Oh, I can't comment. He goes, Mm. yeah, I do want to do it. And this is kind of what happened. And somebody was asking if Combo would be dead or not. And he was like, I haven't quite decided yet. So, you know, he doesn't sort of play it down. He's, He's definitely eager to do something. But it's like he says, it's when the time is right. And it's not yet and he is writing something else at the minute so it's definitely not sort of like imminent um but yeah i mean i just i just love it i'd hope i wouldn't yeah, need to be... take my hair off again but i'd love it surely not surely that in, in, in yeah, if it was set in 2000 over. i think you'd have hair yeah. wouldn't you yeah that's yeah, over yeah. yeah that'd be fine yeah that um that kind of sunday lunch scene in in that the last series was one of the most incredible scenes in TV history, I think, when you're aware, when oh, the truths come right. out in that scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we spoke just, really um, in detail about that scene yesterday. Oh, did you? Here and there. Yeah, just oh, I'll have to watch it. it. Okay. Yeah, just recalling it back, and um, Shane, that day was, we sort of sat, all the cast had sat around, all the crew were outside to sort of like not knowing what we were doing, probably thinking we're rehearsing, but really we was like talking about, you know, what was on telly last night. And this is kind of a, a common theme that we do, we just chat. Um and then we started to set up the scene and Shane would usually go round and speak with everybody individually to make sure everyone knows what's going on because obviously it's all improvised. And he wouldn't come anywhere near me and it was driving me mad because I was like, are you going to, can I have five minutes when you're ready? And he was doing it on purpose not to try and put things in my head or try and choreograph anything. So I did find myself upstairs in Lollamwoody's house in the bedroom, like really stressed. And then Joe Gilgan came in and was like, you're right. And I said, no, because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what. And started talking about it to Joe as Vicky, but actually found it was the, probably what Lol would have done with Woody because she didn't know what to say when she gets down there. So he's just a very clever man, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah, that, that worked. Yeah, that, whole, yeah, that exactly, plan worked yeah. very well. Yeah. yeah. Um, Talking of line of duty, what's the state of play now? Do you, are you talking about how you know resuming filming? Has that been discussed yet? Can you say or you know how? No, any, it hasn't, any, no, we haven't discussed anything in terms of this is the the plan. The plan is we know that we need to go back and they'll be in touch when that's going to be. Um, okay. I think we all know. Just you know, you only have to turn on the news and look around you. It's not safe to go back to work yet in that capacity. Obviously, lots of people are going back to work and um, they're having to make lots of changes and adapt in lots of ways. And we're going to need to do that. And we don't really have the chance at the moment to facilitate something, to continue just filming as we did originally. Um, So when it will be, I just don't know. And I can't imagine Jed's the kind would want to make a compromise about the way it's filmed, would he? He wouldn't suddenly want to, you know, change the way it's filmed. Because of his medical background, you know, He's never going to make compromises full stop. He's going to want yeah. his first and foremost um, will be, is everybody safe? And, you know, is it? are we able to do it within those parameters? And, and if and when that comes, then we'll be okay to film. But it's like I was saying the other day, I don't, I don't know because I don't know, I haven't spoken to anybody that's gone back to work in the industry as yet. Um, but whether or not soaps are able to bring this into the story – to make it a little bit easier for them to pick up a bit quicker and the audience can sort of, um, you know, they're aware as to why those characters are socially distant or aware of why certain things are happening, whereas it doesn't belong in the story of Line of Duty um, as it stands. So, and I, you know, whether or not he'd bring that in, I doubt it, but 
yeah. knows? No, I can't see it. Yeah. No. Um, and in, finally, in in this period of lockdown and um, you 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 know being with with your fiance Johnny, have you have the two of you been watching much TV? Have you been catching up with stuff? Have you binge watched anything that you'd want to recommend? Well, I mean, we started obviously on Tiger King, as did everybody. <laughs> um, so we did that, Johnny. Johnny eats television and books. I mean, he's, yeah, he's watching loads of things at the minute. I'm trying to think what I last watched. Um, oh, I'm start, I've just started watching the um, documentary on, oh God, what's it called? Is it the Michael Jordan? The, uh, Michael Jordan, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is incredible, yeah. I've just started watching that, so I'm looking forward to finishing that. Um, I don't know. Do you know what? It's funny because... I, so many people have maybe achieved an awful lot in this lockdown and then I feel really bad that I've had days where I've done absolutely nothing and probably wasted the day but in the same breath I kind of go I found it hard to concentrate sometimes or Mm. to switch off if you like um so I can't say I've just spent the last seven eight weeks binging the telly um I hope there's not like a massive black hole of television soon though (laughs) Yeah, same, yeah. Bringing, you know it's great timing for Alex Ryder I've got to say it is good timing for Alex Ryder yeah, yeah absolutely well um, well brought back to the, to the no no but just generally <laughs> I think no, no. it's, it's yeah. I don't know when they was actually planning on um, putting it out but it feels like it's been brought forward and yes given yes. that the youngsters are off school and there is the time for them to and just you know television is an amazing escapism isn't it it does give yeah. us chance to just sort of stop and not worry about whatever our worries are um and whether it's something you need to make you cry or make you laugh we've got the options now we've got channels galore and amazon's such a beast and it's you know watched by millions of people so hopefully it will give people a bit of escapism oh i think it will totally yeah it's it's it's, it's really good escapist fun yeah, yeah definitely yeah definitely. um vicky thanks so much for joining us and um, have a good Rest of lockdown. Yes, and you. Cheers. <laughs> Take Thank care. You. Cheers, Thanks a lot. Take care. Yeah. Cheers. That was Vicky McClure, and time now for this week's news. What's happening, Boyd? Uh, well, the BAFTAs are going to happen, um, the TV BAFTAs. So um, they were meant to happen in May, uh, kind of last week, effectively, if they hadn't, if we hadn't had um, a virus uh, affecting the entire world. But the what they've decided to do is go ahead with um, having a, a, a ceremony, but in but the one that's going to match meet up to meet lockdown um, instructions. That was a terrible sentence. They're going to go ahead with the ceremony, but not have an audience and all of that and people there. So they're going to do it. They're going to give the announce the awards. Richard Aoard is going to host it, which I think is a really good choice because he's great. And um, they will present the awards to the winners virtually. And I assume they'll kind of film those. And it's going to be on Friday, the thirty first of July on BBC One. And I, I think it's good news. I think like it's good to not postpone it forever and to reward as the BAFTAs does every mm. year it is the most prestigious TV awards in this country. So to, um, uh, to, to, to dole out the awards, albeit in a, in a kind of slightly weird version of ceremony is the right thing to do. And um, the nominations get revealed next Thursday, uh, the 4th of June at 7.30 AM. So we can talk about those on next week's show and complain about things that they missed and um, uh, agree with the stuff that they've got right. So that's all quite exciting. Speaking of awards ceremonies, boy, did you see the sort of slight furore around the Mandalorian at the Golden Globes? Yes. So, yeah, so Pedro Pascal didn't get nominated. The Mandalorian got snubbed. But they then responded to that by altering their criteria to say that voice-only performances are now non-eligible in any 
acting category. So if an actor is playing a character, their face has to be visible to be eligible for a Golden Globe, which is yet another reason why the Golden Globes are fucking stupid. Um, which is honestly, like, I mean... Yeah. The only thing I would say to this, like, on the one hand, it's like you shouldn't have to see his face. It doesn't affect his ability to perform that role. It is a physical performance. It is a vocal performance. It is called acting. It is all of those things. That said, I think the waters get slightly muddied when you have, for example, an entire episode when he's not in the armour. So I wonder yeah. whether that then causes slight problems because it's literally not him. Isn't that the problem? Because on one hand you go, well, it's not just a, a voice. Acting isn't just voice. Acting is so much about physicality and the way you move. Mm. But but then it makes it properly, I think, a bit fucking depressing that there is a whole episode where he's not in the suit because therefore he's not playing the character. No. Because, you know, every time, you know, all superheroes with masks, like they're still played by the same actor. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a bit of a, uh, I don't think, I think it's a bit disrespectful to the audience just to have somebody sub in like that and to actors really because it isn't just about the voice mm. and it is about how he moves and presumably he, there were things he did physically um, with intention and deliberately to infuse the character with something. So I don't know how you really rationalise or justify having somebody else step in. And it makes you wonder, like, oh, well, if he wasn't in that episode at all, how much is he not in it elsewhere and they're just not mm -hmm. telling us? Because like, I have no problem with other people jumping in for stunts. That's why you have stuntmen. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah, very, exactly. very common. It's absolutely fine. But an entire episode, and that episode is, a, there's a lot of talking. It's not a heavily action-based episode, apart from the finale of it. Uh, and yet he's not in it at all. I can't help thinking that that decision to do that and to not, I don't know, reschedule the shooting, because I think he had Broadway commitments, uh, was a slightly odd one. So while I do not condone this voice-only performances are not eligible, I mean, that's just ridiculous. Also, it's a disservice to, you know, again, Boyd is now a BoJack stan. I don't watch BoJack Horseman, but by all accounts, <laughs> some extraordinary performances of that, and what they're just now not eligible for anything yeah it's ridiculous yeah anyway so that's the hoo-ha with the golden globes but more <laughs> important than that i would say is there's been some stuff going on in in amazon land so uh specifically the lincoln lawyer which we talked about was had been axed by cbs they'd got it already it was cast it was ready to go they passed on the lincoln lawyer based on the michael connolly books in part because cbs as terry will know is a procedural powerhouse they don't like mm -hmm. serialized shows they like standalone jump in jump jump out promiscuous television uh and the lincoln lawyer is not that and wasn't designed to be that david e kelly had a very much a serialized storytelling approach in mind so that looked like it was going to die. But now Amazon may be stepping in to pick up the Lincoln Lawyer, which makes so much sense, not least of all because they're the home of serialised television, but also they own Bosch. And it's set in the Boschiverse, and Bosch is his literal half-brother. So, you know, I'm seeing, like, th this is now a TV universe. We can have a crossover episode. Bosch comes to an end next year. It's the final season of Bosch. So you can have... Bosch can live on in the Lincoln Lawyer and everything is good with the world again. So, yes, very excited about this. I very much hope this happens and I hope they make the most of it. That said, anyone but Matthew McConaughey playing Mickey Haller would yeah. not sit well with me. So, I don't know. We'll see. Are you excited about that or do you, neither of you care? Uh, I care. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. that was totally convincing. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, did you guys see the... Um, Upgrade that fit. was it last year now? What year are we in? Um, which was the Lee Winnell yes, film. Um, yes. Mm. So I watched I watched this even and I did think it was pretty ridiculous, I have to say. If everyone remembers <laughs> it's the guy who his wife's killed in a mugging, he's left paralyzed. Um 
and then he's basically some stem stuff and he could get revenge on people um blah, he gets sent to blah. robocop yeah it's essentially well now it's going to be robocop the tv series um because um lee winnell's going to make a tv show of it um with bloomhouse tv and um the telly division at universal um and it seems to be broadening it out it says it broadens the universe with an evolved version of stem and a new host and it's essentially the government um, is repurposing STEM to help curb criminal activity, mm. which basically makes it exactly like RoboCop, which means I'm much more inclined to watch it. Um, that sounds like a brilliant broadening of the universe to me. So this is just your dream, isn't it? They've taken one of James's stupid sci-fi things and turned it into a police procedural. It's the best I mean, of both basically, worlds. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Um, very, very good. Do you were you fans either of you of the Steve Larson books, the Millennium books, or indeed the films? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, yeah. Amazon are now big time doing a yeah. series based on the Millennium books, uh, which famously were you know the girl with the dragon tattoo, the girl who played with fire, and the girl who kicked the hornet's nest. He says, trying to remember the three well done that are canonical, well and then the spider's web one is the one after he was dead. So that's not a proper one. It's going to be a reboot, and they go they take the character will be mm. transposed to the present day, and it'll all be so it'll be. Elizabeth Salander um, dealing with uh, what she does, solving crimes by hacking and being herself <laughs> um, in the in the current world, if you like. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's an update. It's just Elizabeth Salander, the series. Yeah, very Amazon Primey mm. as well, because that's what they do, isn't it? They kind of take these characters and they kind of create series built around those characters. Mm. Um, I, I mean, she is an absolutely brilliant character. And I, I'm a huge fan of the David Fincher um, version. I think that is. I think that's a fantastic, much underrated film, and it's kind of underrated because it is a remake of because the because the first film, the original version of the film is pretty good as well. It is, yeah. But I, I thought his thing. I thought his version was phenomenal with Daniel Craig. I love it. So I'm and I, I, I like the character. So I think it's interesting, and it's produced by the people who do um, the Crown. So it'll be quality. I think. Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm looking forward to that as well. Like the books, enjoyed the films. Very interested to see what they do. This also love. Love an Amazon book adaptation. Love it. This is my happy place. Yeah. So very excited about yeah. that. Um, do you see HBO Max launched in the US mm. with 10,000 yeah. hours of content? Uh, this this is the sort of uh, Warner Brothers new uh, streaming service uh, and looks set to be kind of a heavy hitter content wise, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Huge. And what's the sc- But boy, do we know any more about what the score is going to be over here or is it? I don't think, yeah. I mean, everyone's asking. I, don't, I just don't think they've got any plans to launch it here at all because um, most of the shows still have uh, first refusal. Sky has first refusal, yeah. on, as I understand, on HBO shows, and they'll have acquired a lot of them already. Um, I just don't. Th- I, I'd be amazed if it launches anytime soon here. Um, it's too complicated. It's like much more complicated even than the whole Disney Plus situation because mm. they they planned on having that being a global thing, whereas I think. Um, HBO that is entirely aimed at their American market. It seems well, to because me. Sky would presumably not have any of this. It's, no, well, Sky will have a lot of it. But, no, but what but, I mean yeah, is that, that as in they won't. They uh, won't. <laughs> sorry, I should have waited. Uh, right, Sky, will, Sky would yeah. clearly not want this to happen. Yes, right, exactly. Because if they lose yeah. their HBO stuff, they kind of have a rather severe yeah, existential yeah, problem, it, don't they? Right. Yeah. yeah for sure. But I think we'll see. But it's but it's going to take a frustratingly long time to see a lot of those shows arrive here so people are going to get quite annoyed about it i, I, I predict mm. 
We don't even know, like the Friends reunion show, which is going to happen at some point. It was supposed to happen launch week originally, launch week originally before the virus. Um, I'm not with no idea who's going to show that, like because that's got a complicated. You know, that's Channel Five and have got the rights to show it, and you know, it's it, that. So God knows what's to show Friends. So God knows what's going with that. Just as an example, I don't expect to see it on these shores, but I'm in to see how it's fourteen ninety nine a month. That seems quite expensive for a streaming service, doesn't it? Oof. Well, dollars. It is, but they've got yeah. an incredible library. Yeah. Includes the whole library, and like they've spent a lot on new new content. Yeah. Use that word. Well, that's significantly more than yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, because I suppose the next most expensive one would be Apple. Maybe at nine ninety nine. Is Apple nine ninety nine? I didn't think it was that much. I thought it, I yeah. had it in my head that it was only a fiver. Or is it four ninety nine? Four ninety nine. If I lost my mind, well, then it's really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and also sex education looking like it's going to begin production in August, uh, which, frankly, I'm very pleased about because there are very few shows that I feel I would physically actively mourn that would pain me not hmm. to see return in its in its scheduled slot, and frankly, sex education is one of them. Um, this was due to start shooting, I think, this month, and uh, and obviously was you know virused and shelved. But they're they're looking at an August start. Whether that'll happen or not, who knows? But that's uh, that's the plan. But I thought that was such a weird um, show to be one of the first announced to be returning to production, considering every single practically every scene is a scene yeah. of intimacy. Yeah. Two meters apart. How are they going to do that? How are they going to? Yeah. How the fuck are they going to sort that? I genuinely out? don't know unless they work it into the plot line somehow. But uh, yeah, I, I I have absolutely no idea. With these shows, I think they're going to do what they do with what they're doing with the football, which I won't bang on about. But the football season's coming back, everyone, uh, June seventeen, and they're quarant- I think effectively teams are quarantined together and live as as a, a kind of a household, if you like. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think they'll do that with these production teams. It's the only way around it. They'll have to like get everyone together for a few months and just. And, and, you know, be tested regularly. And I think that's the only way around, around but, a show like Sex Education. But, yeah, because I was um, – my boyfriend works in the crew on um, TV and film. And we were talking about this. And, and a lot of there's a lot of talk in the industry about it being really one of the only viable solutions where you basically leave home – and and live and work with those people for three months, six months, however long the shoot is. But how does that work when people have families? Because it means they can they can't go mm. and visit their families. They can't go home on weekends. So you'd be asking people to essentially check out of their normal lives for the length of the shoot, um, which means a large proportion of people probably won't be able to work right if they've got kids or yeah, you know be, yeah. a, a life that they want to yeah. live but yeah. i don't i agree with you boy i don't see how else you could do it because no. every time somebody leaves set for the night and comes back again obviously there's you've got another risk and presumably if you're testing you'd have to test every day like it just seems impossible with anything that as you say that doesn't take quarantining and the pandemic as kind of a narrative thing which is the only way you could kind of explain why people went Mm. together but the limits it places not just on the technical side you know boom operators for instance and grips and hair and makeup but also obviously the scenes actors can play together if you think about how many times people actually stand two feet apart um in real life it's it's kind of nuts how we're ever going to be able to get around it well, six people can gather together now, can't they? This is in a the garden. Thing so we can all six people can stand two meters apart in a garden outside. Yes, yes. but not go for a wee inside. Not go, not go for, well, not together. But then, Terry, frankly, that's not a good idea at the best of times, is it? Really? <laughs> but it says no. it says you can't go in the house. 
You, you can't all go and wee together inside. All right, good, no, good you know. can't go and wee at all. You can only go in the house if you have to yeah. walk through it to get to the garden, but you can't go inside for any other reason. So you can't go for a wee. So if you have six people around your house... Just they have to wee behind the shed. They all have to take a piss in a hedge. <laughs> Wow, it's true. This is a this is a fascinating insight barbecue night round at Terry White's house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bring your own sausages and your own toilet roll, <laughs> and dig your own hole to take a piss in. <laughs> Oh, God. Right. I think on that note, that is probably the end of news. So uh, shall we move on then to this week's reviews? And we begin this week appropriately with the first team, which we were unable to review last week. This comes to us from comedy geniuses Ian Morris and Damon Beasley and charts the fortunes of a group of young players, including one unlikely American, and a British premiership team in decline there's a lot more to it of course but given my apocalyptically dismal understanding of football i think a lot of it was lost on me boyd was this one a righteous free kick or a dodgy sliding tackle outside possession that leads to an instant red card from the ref well done well done james um yeah it's um so this is from damon beasley and ian morris the creators of the inbetweeners um they've wanted to do a a a comedy about the world of premier league football for quite a long time um it's the first thing they've done together since the second inbetweeners film so they've done different projects separately um ian wrote and directed a film damon did another series um white gold which is on bbc2 but this is their kind of they're reunited to create this show and um it's six parts it's all on um uh, bbc2 already uh and i would urge i watched it in one big go so i mean i'm a huge fan of theirs anyway i was a big inbetweeners fan um i love the way they they know how it's basically their speciality let's face it is dudes um bouncing off each other the horrible i'm not going to use the, the b word the banter <laughs> word but that's that is that was their speciality and just observing the way men talk to each other uh uh and they've kind of got that down to a t and specifically to, to the very to the way they the language that men use but going back to the between is obviously young late teens etc um this time young mostly young premiership footballers who are in a unique position that of premier league footballers are being basically people in their early 20s to mid 20s mostly who only work basically about an hour a day football training is about an hour a day and that's it for the rest of the time they go off and do what the hell they want so filling time that's what i think that's what the, the observation of this show is that these people, these guys get more and more, their sense of entitlement increases, their eccentricity and weirdness to kind of fill their lives with something not boring uh, gets more and more important to them. And they end up doing just ridiculous, stupid, weird things. And I think all of that is absolutely true of the world of Premier League football. So I, I kind of completely took on that observation. It also um, focuses on the modern world of football to the extent that fan TV is a big thing. So I'm an Arsenal fan. Arsenal fan TV is a huge phenomenon of fans after every game um, being filmed and put on YouTube, what they think it's become this gigantic thing. And they use that very amusingly. So it's right on the button. It feels, it feels authentic. Um, and yet it's very silly as well at the same time and has a kind of that in between the silliness to it. Will Arnett playing the chairman is great. I loved him. Um, in, in, uh, they wrote that role for him. I really, I really enjoyed it. But what I would say is I think the first episode is the classic comedy scene set where they have to introduce quite a large group of characters and the setting and make sure if the 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 uh, portrayal of this world is authentic um i do think it gets much much better as it goes on and by the time i was in episodes four five and six i was absolutely loving it terry this strikes me as something that's right up your alley <laughs> <laughs> oh god um 
Okay, so I only watched episode one, um, but I found this a real struggle, I have to say. I know nothing about football, um, but I just didn't think the jokes were particularly funny and I didn't feel like there was authenticity in terms of the men and their relationship. So there's this kind of three lads really, I suppose, at the centre of it. This new signing, Matty Sullivan, who's, um, you know, this great hope from America who's somehow accidentally been signed and actually isn't very good at football by all accounts. Um, Benji and Jack, um, who were two lads already on the team. And um, as Boyd said, I was reading about it and and Ian Morris had said it was exactly what um, Boyd just described, which is actually there's a lot of boring stuff in a footballer's life because you only do work for a short um, period per day. And it's that mundanity and repetitiveness of what do you do? Play Fortnite a lot, apparently, Mm. by the looks of it. Talk to girls on Instagram. so it's mainly set in the dressing room, at their houses, at the shops when they go to buy a lifetime supply of toilet roll, um, a canteen. And so I I found it quite boring, weirdly, which I don't know if that was deliberate because it was meant to be showing you kind of this mundane side to actually being a footballer. And I'll tell you what it did make me feel. It actually, for me, felt dated, not on the button it felt the the humor felt dated the jokes you know there's a running joke about a guy pt who's the psychopath in the team and his really long foreskin which is this running gag they keep coming back to um you know there's this whole thing about one of them doesn't want to be seen to buy toilet roll because he doesn't want it putting all over social media and people thinking about him essentially taking a shit and then he does go out to buy it and it's like this comedy of errors and i just didn't I didn't buy the relationship between the three of them and the chemistry and I didn't, um, the jokes felt really, it felt like kind of 90s, noughties, lad culture kind of stuff it was mm. riffing on, which I just don't think feels relevant anymore, not for me. And, you know, let's just give mention to the women in this show, which is, you know, they're either mums, Instagram models, or there's a bit of a PR woman. I think somebody online described her as a tutting ponytail, and that really made me laugh. Um, I, I found this really hard to get on with. It's it's funny, isn't it? I, I get what you say about it feeling dated. I wonder whether it's... So the in-betweeners, I think, works particularly well. Not least, well, they're very talented guys, these two, and they write very well. And I think the in-betweeners works because there's a universality to it. Like, everyone saw either themselves or people they knew in those characters. And that familiarity really made that work, and it made it feel comforting and it made it feel familiar. I think I think I'm not sure how many people can necessarily relate to Premiership footballers. Perhaps Boyd can, uh, but I like <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know that world. And I think part of the problem is I don't know anything about football. So a lot of this was lost. I mean, this is a comedy about football. This could not possibly be more my kryptonite. So I didn't I didn't love it. It's not my sense of you know I quite like smug arch humour, uh, and this <laughs> is more you know sort of broad toilet based humour. It's very much not me. Um, there are a couple of moments in I did think were genius. Like there's one bit which Boyd brought up with the interview with uh, Will Arnett last week where uh, after he has signed the contract and Will Arnett basically tries to see if he can rub it out and he takes an incredibly long time to reach over and do it and the genius of that scene is just how long it takes where you just I, I challenge anyone not to laugh by the end of that scene because it's just so absurd and I enjoyed that and I think Arlet's oh, a lot of fun in it but again again this fails my bell end test overwhelmingly um, and I don't really enjoy know anything about or have any interest in the subject matter so I don't think it was ever really going to be a classic for me while of course I, you know 
going in here, I was expecting to have the Archbishop of Banterbury drop by <laughs> and it to be a bit like that, but it wasn't quite like that. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the banter there didn't, it didn't feel like the in-betweeners banter, which again, it's really fast, it's really funny. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on there. This this felt like like that foreskin gag in the first episode felt like it, it got more screen time than perhaps it deserved. Mm. Uh, it didn't go with me. <laughs> <laughs> you can never give too much time to the foreskin. Too much foreskin is what I'm saying. That's my, that's my yeah. poster quote. But it is, I, I think, I think it is a different to the in, in to the extent that because um, the in betweeners was about a group of friends who who are established. Do you know what I mean? Like an, an established friendship group. This is about a newcomer, the American guy, Jake Shaw. I think he's very likable actually. So he he's the likable outsider coming into this world where he doesn't belong and he's trying to work out what the hell's going on and developing the friendship. So it's it's a harder thing that I think everything about this series is a really tough ask. Mm. I think they've set themselves a really difficult challenge to because. To make it feel authentic and to, you know, to have this outsider figure to make it about this extremely lavish world, um, um, of the ultimate, you know, the ultimate riches for young, for these young guys. And also to, to make it hopefully, um, accessible to people who aren't interested in football. It's hard. It's really hard. And I'm not saying it's a runaway success and they've triumphed and they've, and they've done it. But I, I think I find it very, once you, it's one of those things for me. It's like once you get into the tone of it and the, uh, then, then you kind of, really luck start liking it i think mm. as it goes on but i can see why terry does but uh, yeah i think you'd, i think you'd have to i think if 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 the tone of something like this is not your cup of tea like mine i think you're probably just not going to get on with it mm. full stop yeah. i think if there is an yeah. affection for this stuff somewhere inside you then as you say you know other things i've read have said that it builds it definitely builds better after the first um episode i will say that i very much enjoyed the um uh, cameo by Jason Williamson of Sleaford Mods, who yes. is the kit man. And yes. it's so, that's a, that is a beautiful couple of seconds of telly that really yeah. made me laugh and was so perfectly done. And he's just perfect in that. Um, so I did enjoy that bit. And I did enjoy um, Will, Arn- Will Arnett. Is that how we're Arnett, saying his yeah. name? Will on yeah. Will on it. I think, and you know, he's a that to have kind of a massive big hitter like him, kind of in the show. I think it does a lot of good for it because it gives it a kind of a, a quality edge. Um, it also has Chris Gear in it, yeah. who I always enjoyed in You're the Worst. He's uh, he's always fun, mm. and I, but I enjoyed I enjoyed well, the yeah. the coach, like the manager, whatever you call him, the uh, Italian manager. I, I Cesare. Yes, Cesare. Yeah. I I very much enjoyed the Cesare scene. I thought that was quite funny. And they do do this this yeah, kind of funny. similar to the in between is this kind of youthful naivety versus the real world. Like seems to be a thing that they do quite well. And there's certainly an element of that there as well. The whole of the first team is available now as a box set, and it airs on Thursdays on BBC. Next up this week, we have Amazon's adaptation of Anthony Horowitz's Alex Ryder novels. I think Jack Ryan, been in a posh school uniform. Uh, The first novel in this series, Stormbreaker, was adapted for the screen as that slightly ropey Alex Pettifer novel back in the (laughs) early noughties. But this series sees Otto Farrant as the teenage spy on a mission to save the world in an adaptation that skips right over part one and instead tackles the series' second novel, Point Blank, with some expositionary bits thrown in, as Ryder sets out on this mission to infiltrate a shady French boarding school. Terry, is Amazon spy series CIAs or a pile of MI shits? <laughs> oh dear. Um so this is a this is a interesting one, right? So I remember the film, which was cartoonish and stupid and not terribly good um i've never read the books you'll be gobsmacked to hear um and so i had in my mind this would kind of be um 
a much more YA, I suppose, because mm. that's what it is, right? So he's, what, 14 in, in the, the books? In the books, yeah. Um, yeah, in the books, he's 14. So this was a surprise to me in many respects because they've aged him up. I think he's 16 in this, which is a kind of a crucial thing because he's on the edges of adulthood. And they've definitely, to my mind, tried to um, go for a much broader audience. So not just go for kids, not just go for YA. Um, so um, adults as well as kids. So there's like one swear word, I think, said twice in the first episode. Um, and it's much more slick and serious and kind of intense, I think, than I imagined it to be. There's some violence in there, which is kind of not, um, it's quite unflinching. Um, it feels a bit spooksy. Um, what I really enjoyed is it's unapologetically British. So it's kind of um, transatlantic, this show, and there's the opening scenes are actually in New York. Um, but the the references are really British. He is he is absolutely a British lad. Um, I think Otto Farrant, who plays Alex Ryder, I think he's a cracking little actor. I think he's the right kind of, you know, he feels like a kid, but he does also have this edge to him. Um, his friend, Tom, who's played by Brennick O'Connor, who's in Game of Thrones, he, for me, is really the standout of this. So he is this brilliant kind of film nerd who is super awkward. Some of the stuff that makes it feel grounded in kind of a teenage world really authentically actually comes from him. There's a brilliant scene of him at a party where a girl pukes all over him. Um, and I think I think he's actually brilliant. The kind of rounding out cast are incredible. Obviously, we interviewed Vicky McClure this week. I will say, and I feel like I say this a lot about Vicky McClure, I've only watched episode one and she plays this kind of straight faced handler um in you know this this association linked to mi6 who she kind of you know he's they say at one point they execute the intel that mi6 get she's i feel like she's kind of wasted so far from what i've seen we know how brilliant vicky mcclure is it's a little bit line of duty vicky mcclure um so i suppose my thing is this is the tone feels a little bit confused to me at, po at points by it being so broad because you've got this kind of um spy plot you've got this you know this shadowy school which is at the heart of these um murders that are happening and it does seem to not kind of know whether it wants to be a um really compelling YA story or a more adult kind of spy thriller um so for me, I wonder if it loses some of the flavor by making it, trying to make it so broad and trying to make it appeal to so many people. Um, but as a first episode, and as I say, that's all I've watched, I enjoyed kind of, um, I did enjoy how serious and slick, but there wasn't much fun. There wasn't much that really spoke to it as an as a YA property. So I think if if that's what people are expecting, that's definitely not what this is. I'll be interested to see how it runs out across the entire season, but it it's kind of sits in this middle ground for me. And I wonder if by going for that middle ground to get a wider audience, they've lost some of the spirit of what Alex Ryder is. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I expected this to be more YA as well. I was kind of thrown by how gritty it is. Like, it's quite, mm. you know, a, a lot goes on and you start dealing with, even in the first episode, they're talking about 
children being taken into care, immigration issues. Like, there's a lot of stuff in here that doesn't necessarily appeal, certainly to the book's audience, which I think I think is about 10, 11, sort of broadly speaking, and maybe slightly older after that. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't what I expected it to be a, at all. Boy, did you, I mean, you must have known going into this that it was going to be slightly different. Yeah, I, to be honest, I know a ridiculously large amount about this um, project because, weirdly, um, I have read... Um, the novels because I used to back in the day when I used to review books every week on Radio Five Live with Simon Mayo, we did um, a couple of Alex Ryder books with Anthony Horowitz, and um, then I did the event with Anthony Horowitz um, a couple of years ago that showed the book festival. And I remember him telling me about this TV version. This goes a long way back. The idea of doing a, a long form TV adaptation of his books. And I think it's a deliberate move, absolutely. To these are mu- they are much grittier and um, aimed at a higher age group than the books. Um, and I think that's fair enough, though, because I think I think everyone involved feels that it's good to have a teenage spy. The, the fundamental idea is a teenage James mm. Bond, and of course there have been teenage James Bond itself. But that's the idea, and I think it almost, it would be difficult. And I think the problem with the film was it tried to maintain that idea too much and it felt cheesy and you know a bit embarrassed a bit silly whereas this i think it fits um a tv version of this book this is the way to do it for me so i think they've made the right decision to make it grittier and tougher um because i think i think 11 12 13 14 year olds watching it would not accept a kind of a thing aimed at a lower age. I think it'd feel, I think it's hard to do that in this day and age. I think everyone, all viewers are more sophisticated. I think by the time you're hitting, you know, even 10, 11, you're like, you're not going to take something that is clearly trying to um, appeal to a younger age group. So I think the tone, I think they've done quite a good job with the tone. I think it works. And I think getting Stephen Delane and Vicky McClure on board gives it, and Andrew Buchan, in fact, you know, who, who um, all of these are really good actors surrounding the core of Otto Farron, who I think I agree is really good. So I like the and I, I like the cinematic quality of it. I like the, the grittiness. Um, and she and uh, Vicky McClure's character comes into it much more in episode two, by the way. And and the difference between her and the line of duty characters is, is becomes more clear because I think she's she's a much her scenes with she butts up against Stephen Delane a lot. That's the thing, and their scenes together are really good. So she's trying to protect this teenager from the exploitation that um, that uh, Stephen Delane's character. is. It doesn't seem to give a shit about basically and that's a really interesting element of the show i think that you know they are totally exploiting this teenage boy for their own for their own ends and and lot and everyone is so that it, got, it gets quite complex because there's lots of different groups that are kind of fighting over him and what his story and how he's going to be of use to them so i think it's quite it's an interesting take on it and i think it works really well don't you think boy that the challenge though because i completely agree with you on the younger end of the audience because you know it's mm. like when we were kids we weren't watching kids mm. films you know yeah. when i was when i was reading magazines i was reading just 17 when i was like 10 right so you always kind of punch up i think the difficulty is is arguably going to be converting an an adult audience because how do you get people like us i suppose um especially when there is so much so many amazing thrillers properly Mm. adult thrillers um how do you get an adult audience invested in a teenage spy i think is the challenge um because i think those kids are always going to be in you know there's there is the odd swear word and there is the odd bit of violence i think it's quite exciting when you're 10 12 14 or whatever but i suppose it's how you bring in those people (sighs) Well, I think the, the answer is the things you mentioned. So I think like having um, the, uh, Brennan O'Connor's character being this really funny, 
likable nerdy film nerdy guy i think that's key because i think those i think that kind of dialogue works really well and and, and on top of that they've worked really hard at the storyline i think it's it feels more complicated i mean it's, i haven't read the book for you know probably 10 years or whatever but it feels like they're really working hard to keep it um a gripping compelling premise so you know i i, th- I think ad- i think it's absolutely aimed at, M- at amazon prime going can we get 14 15 16 year olds you know on board but i i would happily carry on watching it so I think it. I think it might work. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy for me to to say yes. I love the fact that they've essentially made this earthier and more real and sort of Nolanized it in a certain way because obviously then it makes it more accessible to me, uh, which is great. Like this yeah. is a show that I would, I think, happily watch because it's it was it was entertaining. Mm. I thought it was fun. It kept me engaged all the way through it. Um, whether or not I would let an eleven uh, year old, you know what? I think it's fine. Eleven yeah. year old probably be fine with it. I don't think it's necessarily problems because the books aren't like you know like pre-tween are they they are that slightly sort of early teen novels so and i think yeah. you know i, I think it, it's it's got it's only got a broader appeal to it but it's got great people in it, it's got great performance in it even the way it's shot though is quite interesting there's a there's a scene where someone is killed in this in the first episode mm-hmm. uh, and just even the way it's shot it's shot very dark and in shadow and you know mm-hmm. in, a, in a very sort of adult sort of movie thriller style it doesn't feel at all like a kid show or even like the tone and the texture mm. of it doesn't so yeah it's an interesting one but there's you know there's some there's some humor in it as well um yeah i think they did a good job with this and as as ever with with amazon's book adaptations i'm i'm a fan i think they've they kind of hit their strength with this haven't they taking these sort of literary characters and then as you said earlier just sort of spinning them out into an entertaining series so uh yeah i i, I hope this one will do well um we probably should mention that the director is is um Andreas, hopefully I'm saying this right, Andreas Prochaska, who did Das Boot. And I think that gives you a sense mm. of some of the tonal sensibilities and and that kind of um uh the I suppose the the dramatics and oh, how what do I want to say? Hang on. I suppose in, in the way it's um shot and the tone of it we've been talking about, that that is kind of a good reference point for for what you're gonna get. Indeed. Uh, by the way, it's, it starts on Thursday, weirdly. Okay. It arrives on Thursday. Okay. Alex Ryder <laughs> arrives on Amazon Prime on Thursday, the 4th of June. And next up this week is The Other One, a BBC comedy in which philandering father Colin Walcott dies, revealing to his terribly middle-class wife and daughter that he has a secret second family and, worst of all, they're working class to boot. Uh, the two families are thus thrown together and much hilarity ensues. Or does it, Terry? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> this actually was a pilot back in 2017, which from everything online seems to have actually been really well received, um, but it's only kind of now made it to full series. As you say, that it's a very basic premise. It opens with a man having a surprise birthday party. Um, he walks in the door of his own birthday party and starts to make an excuse of having been for a drink with a mate. The mate is part of the surprise birthday party and is hiding in the kitchen. At that point, the penny drops. He's about to be found out as a as being unfaithful, and he basically collapses and dies of a heart attack in the kitchen. Um, that isn't a spoiler. It happens immediately. When this happens, um, basically at the um, at the funeral or just before it, 
it's been discovered that he's got two families. So he's got the middle-class family who he spends six days, six nights a week with. And he's got this very working-class family who he spends one day and one night a week with. Now, um, there's a joke in it that, you know, some men, when they have a mistress, buy both the wife and the mistress the same perfume <laughs> um, to avoid, you know, being caught out. Um he his version of this was he called both his daughters Catherine. Um, so he's got these two daughters born five days apart. One calls herself Kathy. That's Ellie White, who's been in Inside Number Nine, um, the Windsors, and she's kind of the middle class Kathy. And then you have the working class um, Catherine, who is Lauren Socia, who's in Misfit. She's the amazing babysitter in Catastrophe. Um, and yeah, so basically these two families, these two wives and um, daughters meet and it's about their kind of burgeoning relationship. It's not very, it's not actually about him at all. It's about these four women. The mums are played by the amazing Siobhan Finneran, who we talk about quite a lot, obviously Downton Abbey, Happy Valley, the ridiculous thing on Netflix recently. Help me out. Um, the Stranger. The Stranger who seems to be able to turn her hand to anything, I have to say. Um, And Rebecca Front, who's um, the thick of it, War and Peace, they play the two mums. And I think the strongest thing about this is just the performances of those four women. They are all phenomenal in their own different ways. So, you know, Kathy is middle class. She's got this awful fiancé. She's got a pension. She's got a boring job. Um, She's quite frigid and quite um, meek. Um, And then you've got Kat and she is, you know, she works for Deliveroo. Um, She's got, you know, all the signifiers have been working class. She's got a pay-as-you-go phone. Um, She's single at the moment, she says, after having completed Tinder which was um, a a brilliant line and the mums are are different again so you know um, Siobhan Vinner and her character she talks about she smokes constantly she talks about how she kind of um, she said oh I hate fresh air it dries me out um, which is a line that just made me like my skin shrink (laughs) and the four performances are so different and the chemistry between them I just thought was lovely because in some respects I was worried it was a bit of a crass way to draw it you know a very typical middle class family a very typical working class family but the performances they give such kind of humanity and layers to these women um it's created by holly walsh who did motherland um she writes it as well with pippa brown and the and the writing is brilliant there are so many great lines in this you know there's a bit where siobhan finneran says oh you've got his lovely eyes and she got his lovely ass um to each daughter and they just that the lines are so realistic um so well observed and in many respects, it's kind of a classic sitcom because it's that kind of odd couple, um, yin and yang, and how they rub against each other. And there's kind of hints that there may even be another family. Um, I really like this, and it kind of really grew on me. I watched the pilot. I watched the first episode of the of the proper series, um, and. I just really enjoyed the kind of simple setup, which is it's really the gap between these two families, the gap between being middle class and working class. And that's where all the humor and all the humanity um, lies. So, yeah, I think I think this is really good. Yeah, there's a there's a scene in episode one. It's confusing. So the pilot 
Um, it's effectively, I think, seven episodes. There's the pilot and and six episodes. Yes. Filmed later, are all are all going to all up, um, all going to be up as a box set as well. I think. Um, so there's a scene in the first episode proper, not the pilot, where um, Lawrence Socha's character is like, "How can we have organised this party? Let's have a phone party." Big, and um, and Ellie White's character says, "Yes, that is definitely something to mull on." And, yeah. that, and there are these moments where the two of them, and I love the fact that, as you say, it sets up this class conflict idea, and it is very um almost gently dismantling the stereotypes and the clichés that you expect it to like the traditional sitcom version of this story would absolutely run with you know f- from the 70s or 80s and that's what i think this feels to me almost like the premise of the whole the whole thing is for for holly who created it is you know what if we do this really as you say this really kind of classic sitcom idea premise um with loads of comedic potential but kind of make it believable mm. and real and not stereotyped. And I, and I and I love the way they're doing that. And and so there's a bit where um, Lauren Socia and Ellie White's characters, these two class conflict type, completely different, they suddenly order the same food. And I thought that was such a clever yeah. little moment to show, uh, yeah, they might be completely different on service, but actually, funnily enough, you know, they, they've got an incredible amount in common. As you say, the cast is incredible. My favourite is Rebecca Front because I love, Rebecca Front's brilliant in everything she does, but she's kind of bitter and twisted in this and she's loving it. And just the the kind of joy with which she's approaching this character, I think is fantastic. As you say, Siobhan Finner and always brilliant. I, I, I do think it's really great. Yeah, and I think the writing is really clever. Um, I think um, Holly Walsh and Pippa Brown have done a brilliant job. I'm really, really enjoying it. Yeah, it's great. James, I'm, <laughs> I don't think you're going to like this, are you? It's not my cup of tea, <laughs> is it really? Um, so bear in mind, I only watched the pilot. The story is kind of disposable. It is a scene-setting episode, to be to be expected. Like there's a lot of them driving around working out what to do with his ashes. And I was just, I think I was slightly bored because I wasn't particularly entertained. I didn't find it very funny and I wasn't really that interested in where it goes. And I found, I didn't find the characters irritating. I just didn't find them compelling. I was also slightly distracted by the fact that, and this is almost certainly entirely me, Ellie White, who plays Kathy, reminds me of Joe Thomas to the extent where I almost couldn't get past it. In the, <laughs> her cadence her voice her every delivery is like a female joe thomas and i found it really distracting but i mean i i do like siobhan finner and i think she's very very good big fan of her in downton abbey i it's it just not for me i think is the answer to this it's just it's just not for me i don't think there's anything wrong with it i can't pinpoint anything it just did not entertain me sorry oh well yeah not, oh, well. a, not, a not a shocker. Not a shocker. I was never yeah, really going to love no. this one, though, was I? It was never really. No. Uh, it's uh, certainly not one that's aimed at me. It's uh, it's about as far away from my sense of humour as you can possibly get. So, uh, yeah, the other one, indeed. Uh, and that airs on BBC One on Friday, the 5th of June, at 9pm. Finally, this week is Cardinal Colon Until the Night. Now, this is actually the fourth series of this Canadian cop show, but the first one to land on BBC Two. Don't panic if you've not seen seasons one to three, because it really doesn't matter. These are based on the novels of Giles Blunt. There's a new case each season because they're kind of based, each season is based on a different book. You don't really need to have seen the other ones at all. Um, uh, Billy Campbell stars in this as Detective John Cardinal, a Canadian super sleuth. Uh, and in this particular mystery, Until the Night, he's tasked with tackling the kidnapping of a prominent politician's husband. Uh, Boyd, what did you make of this one? 
Well, um, I like. I'm a fan of uh, uh, this kind of show. It's basically um, so. This has been a big kind of cult hit on BBC Four. All the previous three seasons have been shown in the classic BBC Four Saturday night foreign import slot. Um, you know, the killing. They started it, and they've, they've shown all kind of the bridge and all those. And now it's transplanted to BBC Two, which, by the way, I think is really interesting because I get the feeling that B- they're transplanting a lot of classic BBC Four type shows to BBC Two in in preparation for either ditching BBC4 entirely or you know create turning it into just a kind of archive channel because this is absolute BBC4 literally BBC4 show that has now been like you know there's there's rock documentaries now on Saturday nights that absolutely should be on BBC4 anyway this show in itself is i feel right from the start it was like shall we create a canadian set mystery in a scandi noir style so the whole thing is massively influenced mm. by those scandi noirs it's literally snowy icy chilly the interiors are like scandi scandi noir as well as the exteriors the tone of it it's the way it's shot it's got that kind of brittle tough icy quality to it even the characters like the police boss character billy campbell um and Karine Vanessa, the two main det- detective duo, but their boss is kind of very, very Scandi noir. Um, and I love that stuff. So I love the whole genre. Um, I like, uh, um, um, I'm completely on board with this kind of thing. So the question is for me is, is this series going to be, um, as compelling as previous ones? And I think the story, I think it started off pretty strongly. I think it's, it's interesting to have a story about a prominent politician's husband going missing and the way that he's discovered and the, um, the already they're setting up a very interesting set of circumstances and that's all I've only watched the first episode um, I would say I, I, it's not it doesn't feel like it's outstanding and amazing particularly yet which is probably would be the case for the full season of something that's kind of been a you know it's a show that's worked on a lot of levels but it hasn't been it's not incredible like The Killing or The Bridge or something but it's a really um, it's a I, I think it's a really compelling enjoyable show and I'll definitely mm. I know what you mean about the Scandi influence. Like, yeah, it's again, it's, this is one of those things where I like, you know, whether it be Wallander or any of those kind of based on a series of crime novels type things, I really enjoy the format of taking a really tightly wound crime novel and then unspooling it over one season of TV. Uh, and I like Billy Campbell as well. So this is really good. It doesn't skimp on the violence, which I thought was a little bit shocking in places, but also I think it works very well for this show. But I, I like, I mean, I don't know the author's work particularly well, but I, I think this feels very much like one of those ones where he's quite stingy with the information where the story very gradually unfurls. You're quite in the dark, perhaps mm. a touch confused early on. And then it becomes more compelling as the light begins to shine on what's actually happening and starts to to come into his head. I think by the end of the first episode of this season, I think you have an idea perhaps where you think it might be going, whether it's actually going there remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, by the end of this first episode, I was like, I'm definitely going to watch another one of these. I have to, I have to now see how this ends because uh, it, it really drew me in. I, mm. I enjoyed this an awful lot, uh, which is amazing because I'd never, ever heard of, of Cardinal before we did this. And I now kind of think, well, I'm going to watch this and I might go back and then watch the, the preceding three seasons as well. Uh, Terry, there's grimness and murder in this and it's set <laughs> up north i mean the north of north america but sure so did you like it i did it, it's weird coming into something at season four um are the first of boy sorry if you've already said this but are, are they putting the first three on iplayer as well do you know mm, do you know what i'm not 100 percent sure mm. i'll, I'll, I'll I find would, out because yeah. it, it made me want to actually go and right back to the beginning i hate coming into things especially a final season so there's obviously a lot you kind of are are just assuming like 
I enjoyed the um, relationship between the two detectives, um, Cardinal played by Billy Campbell and Delon played by Karina Vanessy, I want to say. Um, so I enjoyed their, I want to say, so I enjoyed their, um, I enjoyed their relationship. I enjoyed their chemistry. I was immediately kind of desperate to know the backstory of their relationship, which there obviously is quite a complicated one. Um the sl- it's very slow paced. We've talked about this recently with a lot of this kind of um, peak TV about how it's this, this slow pace, as James says, they kind of reveal things quite slowly. Um, I enjoyed this, the location as, as character. So, you know, as exactly what you said, Boyd, it's so brittle and cold and hushed and it, it, it gives it this really kind of, um, kind of quite incredible feel. I mean, it looks fucking fantastic we should say like it is properly good looking um really kind of as we say hushed and um slow and deliberately paced and but I couldn't I found it really hard to get over the fact that I was joining in the fourth season so I think I'm gonna go back I'm gonna stop now and go back and try and watch the entire thing um and well, they are all available on iPlayer, oh, by the way. Yeah, great. So yeah. that's my recommendation. Would be if this sounds up your street, kind of try if you've got the time in this lockdown, is to go and and start the beginning because I immediately wanted to know more about their relationship. Um, and and I don't think you can, don't think you have to to be able to watch this because it is a self-contained story. This mystery that it opens with. Um, I will also say that the violence is very inventive. I enjoyed that. Mm, yeah. I was like so quite surprised by some of what you what I saw on screen, and it, I I don't think you're surprised by much these days. But it's clearly there's there's imagination and real kind of um, uh, really interesting things done on screen. But from one episode, I'd say you know if this is your thing, if if Scandi Noir is your thing, because as you say, it's basically Canadian Noir, um, then then this is this seems good. But I can't really go any further than that okay well cardinal drops on bbc2 for the first time on wednesday june the 3rd at 9 p.m and you can watch seasons one to three on iplayer uh also out this week there are a few things aren't there boyd including i believe netflix's 13 reasons why which starts its final Mm. season on friday june the 5th which we have not been allowed to see no, and I I, um, I remember they did this with season three. I think I think this is quite a special case actually. I think they would because Thirteen Reasons Why became a very controversial mm. show um, because it showed uh, character taking her own life in in too much detail. A lot of people said they went back and re-edited that scene. Remember yeah. famously, yeah. Um, and season two had a, a very um, shocking um, sexual assault at the end of it on one of the the male characters. So it's a it's a very controversial show. I think I think they're wary of letting people see it in advance so that's I think why we haven't seen it in this case this is the fourth and final season I mean I think it's a show that has I kind of enjoyed it or enjoys well, you know, it's, it's been very very bold let's put it that way for a kind of quite a soapy soapily toned teen drama it also has moments of incredible boldness so I'm interested to see what happens in the last season yeah we'll see I stopped I didn't watch season two of this so I've kind of I've, I've long since lost the lost track of it season two was yeah. terrible famously um, but season three was pretty good I have to say I thought I thought it brought it back for season okay. three okay anything else that we missed uh, I don't think so I think that's Amazon's showing yeah. This Is Us though I don't know is that a new season of This Is Us or oh yeah that is the new season. Sorry, yeah, that yeah, yeah, they are showing. And this is us. Um, 
is like still the biggest show in on a biggest scripted show in American TV, by the way. But kind of Channel Four showed season one of This Is Us, then they lost interest, so they huh. didn't do very well, and now it's become an Amazon mm. Prime thing. So yeah, I think fans of This Is I've been waiting until now to see this whole season that I think they're showing from Friday. Mm. And isn't and the new season of uh, Shonda Rhimes' How to Get Away with Murder is landing on Sky Witness, isn't it? Is that on Thursday? Yes, uh, and that's Thursday, yes. June the fourth at Correct. ten p.m. So what would your pick of the week be? I can't predict this one. Uh, mine would be the other one. Boyd. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mine think, would yeah. absolutely the not be one. that. Uh, I would go probably with <laughs> Alex Ryder or failing that, any other show that isn't the other one. Whoa. James. <laughs> right. Anyway, before we depart, before we say goodbye, shall we have a quick banshee of a classic show that we wish to dredge up for modern audiences? So I'm going to go first on this one because uh, I feel I have a wrong to address. You'll remember Ooh. I recently spoke, I think when we were reviewing God, what was it, Pandora, when I mentioned I had a, and I think the quotation was, I said, I've got a very high tolerance for shit sci-fi. I've watched every episode of Babylon 5. The amount of shit I got on Twitter for having besmirched the good name of Babylon 5 was quite extraordinary. So I think you're only allowed to say Babylon 5 is a big pile of shit if you're quoting Simon Pegg in space. Other than that, thou shalt not do it. So to kind of write that particular wrong, because I don't think Babylon 5 is a big pile of shit at all, I thought I would banshee the one, the only Babylon 5. So this ran for five seasons from 1998. It's J. Michael Straczynski's show. And what sets this show apart, what makes this show relevant, what makes it important is it was, I think, perhaps the first seriously serialized science fiction show where it was conceived and executed as almost like a televisual novel like it was uh the whole story was planned out by Straczynski from the beginning he knew exactly where he wanted to begin he knew exactly where he wanted to end it was a five year plan and he wanted to tell this whole story now naturally this made the network very very nervous their whole thing was I think that if you put a show out into syndication which obviously makes them a lot of money uh they're going to air it out of order and that won't work for this. And they also use that sort of hoary excuse where, um, where they say the, the American attention span will not survive this. They need self-contained episodes. No one wants to wait five years to hear how a story ends. So it turns out they were wrong. Now, Babylon 5 was the idea that there'd been a huge sort of interstellar conflicts and war. So this space station, Babylon 5 itself, the space station was set up as a kind of diplomatic hub where alien races could meet and mix and talk to each other and get along. The last best hope for galactic peace, as it were. Uh, and you had all sorts of different characters in this. You had the uh, you had the the Narn, the the, uh, the Vorlons, the Centauri, all these different races that kind of came together. Boys rolling his eyes at this. Did you Watch, did you ever watch Babylon 5, Boyd? You weren't a fan of it. You probably jumped in in the middle, didn't you? You had to watch it from the beginning. So this was a this this was a funny one. So it started off with Michael O'Hare in the lead as Commander Sinclair in season one, but Bruce Boxleiter took over in season two as uh, as Captain Sheridan, uh, and who he was a lot better. And the series kind of played out and it evolved as it went. And the shadows with this nefarious kind of alien sort of malignant force. And the plot sort of took on this large sort of galaxy-spanning storyline. You had the rise of uh, authoritarian regimes on Earth. Lots of things happened, and all of this was planned by Straczynski from the start, which is quite extraordinary when you think about that just wasn't the done thing then. Not least of all, because that's the way network shows are produced. They never know when they get another season. Uh, but to actually have this whole show 
plotted out from the beginning was so ambitious and so bold and so groundbreaking that you know shows like the expanse now they're based on books but you know shows like like rondy moore's battlestar galactica or the latter series of deep space nine they all took their lead from what babylon 5 laid out which is that serialized long-form storytelling can really really work and so much tv nowadays follows a similar format to that um babylon 5 was also an interesting one because of budgetary constraints they couldn't afford the miniatures the star trek the next generation used they couldn't use the little models so they instead opted for very early CGI. So one of the reasons Babylon 5 has dated so badly is the CGI is fucking terrible because all of their exterior shots are done on a computer, done on a Commodore Amiga, amazingly. Uh, and they look really ropey. It's absolutely true. <laughs> they look really ropey because of it. I think we might have reached peak nerd, no, but by I'm, the way. I'm serious. Like, you know, that was a really big thing. Nowadays, CGI is a whole big deal. It wasn't something done on TV then. It was all miniatures and they did it for budgetary reasons. But, you know, again, slightly groundbreaking there now the thing with babylon 5 which kind of threw a spanner in the works is so he had this five-year plan uh but they had a bit of a wobble when he was doing season four they weren't sure they were going to get the fifth season so his whole five-year plan then became an absolute nonsense because he needed to finish the story so he ended up moving a lot of the stuff from season five into season four and he shot the finale of season five when he was doing season four in case he never got to do it so in the end they commissioned a bunch of tv movies and he moved some of the plot stuff into the movie. it became a little bit muddled there was a spin-off series called crusade and he did get a fifth season in the end but i can't help thinking if he had always if that had always been the case if he hadn't had to mess with his plans the story would have been a bit neater but it got a bit bumpy in season four and five just because the network dicked him about so much but nevertheless i thought this was an incredible bit of television certainly for the time it was really really bold but yeah babylon 5 not a big pile of shit actually a groundbreaking landmark piece of science fiction which while looks a bit daft by modern standards sows the seed for all the great tv that we watch today respect it love it babylon 5 uh, you can buy the box sets the babylon 5 box sets of all the various tv movies the seasons and crusade the spin-off you can get them all secondhand for peanuts uh, or you can buy them on you know uh, digitally on apple amazon google whatever it is you can't stream it anywhere to the best of my knowledge uh, but if you want to see the great granddaddy of all the sci-fi that you love now you could do a lot worse uh, than sitting down and watching Babylon 5. And that is my banshee. Neither of you are going to go out and do that. No. Terry, I would pay good no. money for you to sit down and watch all five seasons of Babylon 5. Uh, I mean, kill me now. Can I choose death over that? Go on then. What's yours? Um, so there's something on um, BBC. Um, I've been, we've been watching it on iPlayer at the moment called... Um, Limmy's Homemade Show. Now, this isn't what I'm going to banshee because this is currently on, but this is the Scottish comedian. Um, and he actually did this homemade show, I think, a year or two years ago as a one-off. And it's where he basically, as it sounds, makes a show entirely himself in his flat. He's the writer, he's the producer, the editor. Um, and now he's brought it back during lockdown because obviously it's perfectly made for lockdown. But it actually set me off watching Limmy's show, which is different to Limmy's homemade show. Now, Limmy's show is on Netflix. Outwardly, this should be, I first, this was on the telly and I caught it and I was like, what <laughs> the fuck is happening? Who is this guy? Why is he so irritating? And then I just found myself really compelled by it. So Anybody who's either, you know, seen Limmy on Twitter or caught any of his stuff knows it's really surreal. It's quite brutal. It's not kind of 
you know, classic comedy. It's kind of, I suppose, um, classic sketch show comedy, but it is more twisted, more dark. He really focuses on kind of um, life in Scotland, in Glasgow in particular. Um, his characters are like, you know, there's a um, stoner DD who's my favourite character. Um, and there's a whole, there's one whole episode, I think it's season two, episode two, where Dee Dee takes a bus journey and that's the entire kind of plot of the entire episode and it's just so brilliantly done. There's another one that's a hard bit, an ex-junkie. Um, there's um, a a uh, phone-in host. These are all kind of the characters that, that make up this sketch show. And actually when you watch it, it's absolute genius and really funny in such a dark, twisted, weird way and since i i kind of stumbled upon it i think it's from 2011 2012 it started um i've just like nailed all of them the series series two and series three on netflix at the moment and then if that's kind of um your cup of tea um james you would absolutely hate it then um, there is also as i said there's limmy's homemade show on um which is currently on iplayer at the moment and i is that out actually going out on tv as well boyd do you know yeah 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 it is which which um which channel? Uh, BBC Two, uh, Sunday nights okay. off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Limmy's Homemade Show, they're all going up on iPlayer, but they're also on um, Sunday nights on, on BBC Two. But the pure, the old good stuff is all on Netflix for you to watch. He is a, he is an amazing um, figure, Limmy. Yeah, he's, Isn't he? he's um The way he uses social media, I mean, he's kind of, um, I think he's deliberately eased off Twitter a bit. But in back in the day on Twitter, I would say like two or three years ago, he was phenomenally, yeah. he was like terrifying. You wouldn't know. His, his, his comedy was so edgy and challenging that you would not know how to take half the things he said. And I think that is definitely there in his shows as well. Yeah. yeah. So and the, I mean, the you know, he, everything's kind of the mundanity of everyday life in Glasgow, yeah. but he, makes it so surreal and out there and goes to places you would never imagine. Some of it is quite horrifying, but it's really, really interesting and just really funny. So, yeah, James, you would yeah. hate it. <laughs> Excellent. You would hate it, James, yeah. I can confirm. Uh, I've gone for, you're about to ask, um, Drifters, which was a Channel 4 comedy created by Jessica Nappett, it was produced by um, Damon Beasley and Ian Morris, which is why I was reminded of it, of um, the first team in the Inbetweeners fame. When it came out, it was it regarded as in in a kind of uh, in a kind of um, simplistic way by pretty much everyone who reviewed it as the female in between us because it is about a group of young women um, finding their way in life. This is like they're older, so they're in their early twenties, but it's definitely like they've finished college or whatever. Now, what do they do? Um, trying to get work, and they're drifting literally from one rubbish job to another um it stars jessica Napa herself uh lydia rose Bewley, and lauren o'rourke as the tr core trio of women they're all absolutely brilliant bob mortimer is in it as um jessica Nappett's character's dad um nick muhammad's in it brett goldstein is in it as their neighbor um it's and this is, and i forgot about this completely since until i went back and kind of um researched it again among the writers of the series, there were four series of Drifters, and I don't think um, it ever became a kind of phenomenon that it could have been. Phoebe Waller-Bridge worked on it, and Emerald Fennell worked on it, her mate from, you know, um, from uh, Killing 
Eve. And it was really, really good. It was like, uh, it was incredibly fun. It was, it was not like trying to be, um, make any great point, but it was really, really funny and brilliantly performed and really well written. And I remember enjoying every single episode of it. And all 24 episodes are on, um, all four. And I would urge people to check it out. Drifters, indeed. James was drifting off then. I was I can literally see you drifting off. Considering your description of Babylon effing fire hang on, yeah, for about hang an hour. You cannot have a go at me for drifting off while you're talking about drifters. When when I was talking about Babylon 5, Terry wasn't even looking even the vague direction. She was doing something entirely <laughs> separate, as, as I might add, were you. You were both just doing other things, checking emails, maybe doing a bit of writing, well, watching telly, reading a book. Yeah. And you here know. I was trying to educate you on this amazing landmark in modern television, neither of you gave a shit correct excellent i'm glad kind we cleared of. that up and that's injustice <laughs> is it for another episode of the pilot tv podcast we do hope you enjoyed it certainly enjoyed that last bit more than terry and boyd did as ever if you would like to leave us some kind words and a five-star rating on apple Podcasts, it would be much appreciated and if there are some people in your life that you quite like then why not recommend the show to them as well we're not proud we will happily accept charity and since you're in a charitable mood, why not follow all of us on Twitter and Instagram at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Terry underscore White slash at Terry L. White, depending on platform. Uh, it continues to be a source of much pain that Boyd has literally five times as many Twitter followers as I do. Uh, and I've resigned myself to never catching up with him. But I reckon with your help, I can definitely take him on Instagram. So please follow me there. Uh, we will be back next week with a bunch more shows up to a maximum of six i'm now told all of which must be aired a full two meters apart and can only be watched outdoors while weeing in a hedge pilot out <laughs>